following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Rediscovering the Indies, an independent wrestling history podcast. We are finally uh, done with the deep dive on Burt Prentice uh, with some great five great episodes. I, if you haven't listened to them, go back and listen to them. We got a lot of great feedback on that. Burt was definitely one of the most interesting men in professional wrestling. And uh, when people talk promoters, I don't think he gets talked about enough. Uh, you know, when people bring up you know, promoters from the past. So uh, definitely uh, go back and, and listen to that deep dive on Burt Prentice. But yeah, I am here, Chris Gello, one of your co-hosts, joined alongside Jonathan Ash. Hello. And we are going to cover, and which this will be a multi-parter, Dragon Gate USA, that the Gabe Sapolsky uh, promotion of bringing Dragon Gate over to the United States, and uh, we're going to get into all that, uh, but let's get the thank yous out of the way. Thank you to Matt Johnson uh, over at the Podcast Precinct, and of course our network, the BICBP Radio Network. And we'll get right into it. Uh, we got some good stuff from The Observer and, and other stuff. Got some articles I'll probably talk about in the next part, but we'll start with The Observer here, and we'll start with July 12, 2004. Now, what we're going to do is kind of set the story, too, of how Dragon Gate USA becomes even a thing, uh, so we're going to kind of do a lot of background for you. So, July 12, 2004, right after one of its biggest shows in history, it was announced that Torimon promotion in Japan was closing up. It's actually a restructuring as a new company using most of the same wrestlers is opening called Dragon Gate, which is the English translation for Toriumon. Ultimo Dragon will have nothing to do with the new group, which will be run by Magnum Tokyo as the top star. Takashi Okamura, who was the president of Toriumon, will continue as the president of Dragon Gate. On July 6th, the group held a press conference to announce an affiliation with the Fuji Network. They will be running two shows a day on July 17th to August 31st in uh, Oribia, and sorry for mispronouncing this, folks, a Fuji Network makeshift arena where they broadcast summer festival events. They will be getting a lot of clips during the afternoon on the network, but it's not a network television show. The promotion is largely chasing women and children and not the traditional male wrestling audience. Dragon will continue to use the Torimon name and train wrestlers and promote shows using Japanese wrestlers in Mexico. Uh, Dragon divested himself of the group and he's as he's going back to WWE in November, but this time without the mask, wrestling as Hasai. Okay. Uh, it doesn't happen. Let's talk about that last part. That doesn't happen. Is Were they going to put him in Tajiri Stable? Do you think that was... Because I'm thinking Akio and Sakota. Alright, so... Was that that time period? So, he signed in the spring of 2003. I think he only had a one-year contract because all he really, like, his main goal was to uh, appear at at Madison Square Garden and at at WrestleMania. Um, So, from what I'm seeing here... See, he faced Chavo Guerrero and Nunzio in his last WWE matches. On April 22nd, 2004, WWE announced that 
Asai was released from his WWE contract after he asked for his release from WWE to go back to Japan immediately. So... Is he telling Toriyaman that he's going back just to get out? That might be the reason. Because there's really... I, I don't see anything here to corroborate that. But yeah, because he was gone. He was gone in late April, and we're talking about July at this point. And I don't think... Like, WWE already had their fail with him. It, I don't think they would have... After he went left, out. I don't think they'd resign him. Yeah, it, it, the unfortunate thing is it just didn't work out. Um, I'm on the other hand trying to figure out if they were if maybe the plan was to put him with here because I'm trying to see when. Okay, no, they made their debuts in October 19, 2003. So no, that wouldn't have been the same how long? Time frame. How long were they around though? Because. I mean, they they weren't around long, especially Sakota. Obviously, Akio stays. It's Jimmy Wang Yang, but Sakota doesn't last long. Ryan Sakota, I believe, who, who passed away a few years ago, too. Um, definitely under rear wrestler. He, he wrestled uh, for Rick Bassman in the U, UPW. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think they probably lasted maybe a year. It was the Yakuza-inspired angle. <laughs> yeah, that seemed to be a lot of angles around WWE around that time, the mid-2000s, that never really lasted long and never really made a dent. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, did, so here you have it here. Dragon Gate is formed uh, out of Toriyaman, uh, and you could tell it's not much of a difference here, uh, but... We're kind of setting the stone here. Now, Dragon Gate is a company, and now we're going to kind of go to the United States and see what's going on around that time. Well, actually, not around that time, but a couple years, uh, a couple year, a couple, I'm saying, yeah, a couple months after, I believe. I saw you change the date on the note, so. Yeah, the oh. date was wrong, I believe, it was 2005. All right, I'm sorry. But, but, but listen, nine months later. Uh, so, yes. Uh, April Wait, when was WrestleMania? When was WrestleMania in Detroit? Sorry, I. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. That, so that's correct. April 24, 2005. So we got Dragon Gate establishing himself in 2004 in Japan. April 24, 2005 from the Figure 4 Weekly. Uh, Ring of Honor owner Kerry Silken was on the Get In The Ring radio and said that they drew 3600 paid for WrestleMania weekend. This would explain why he's already uh, has booked buildings in Detroit for WrestleMania weekend 2006, I believe. Uh, 2007. Um, Okay, so this was 2006, April yeah, yeah. 24, 2006. Okay, yeah, sorry, folks. So more than a year later, a year and nine months later, uh, uh, in 2006 here, yeah. Um, he put over Lance Storm and the Dragon Gate guys is really delivering. He said Cornette, who was seen everything, was blown away by Dragon Gate, and they are the next generation of workers after an AJ Styles. Uh, so this was, this was the famous... Well, this was the infamous six-man tag, correct? I believe the the the, the people say it was probably one of the best nights in Ring of Honor. Uh, Mania weekend in Chicago, I believe. Let me. Uh, I think it's important here. to kind of to kind of bring that up because it. I mean, uh, it it was a very good match, and and it was. 
not the first introduction, obviously, of Japanese independent wrestlers to the United States. Uh, but it was definitely going to start a trend where you would see more integration of Japanese wrestlers into the American independent scene. Um, let's see here. I am in 2006. And we got Chicago. Oh. Yeah, that would have been... Uh, it would have been the Chicago Street fight between Cole Cabana and Homicide. You had Generation Next against Blood Generation. And that, yeah, and that's what we're talking about, yeah. Yeah. Masada Yoshini and the Embassy defeated Do Fixer. Uh that would have been that would have been April first, so then and then the night before uh yes. would have been Yeah, from Chicago Ridge. It the match would have been Do Fixer was versus blood generation that that that, that there you go yeah that, dragon that's kid it. yeah that's it yeah so th- yeah that's that actually match, yeah that, that would have been the five star match yes that match got five stars got a opening uh, or um a standing ovation i meant to say from the crowd on that uh and that was kind of like wow i mean at, after that ring of honor definitely uh, started to bring in more japanese wrestlers uh, when they notice, well, there's definitely a market for this. And it's, you know, it's something to be said that in 2006, you know, Japanese wrestlers get integrated into Ring of Honor. It And wow, standing ovation, this and that. And then 13 years later, they're selling out Madison Square Garden with a Japanese promotion. I mean, it took some time, but clearly that this is the roots of that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is pretty much the beginning of Dragon Gate expanding. Like, yeah, and they're a very, very young promotion, and they're out here uh, right now just tearing the house down for Ring of Honor. All right, so we're going to move to 2007 here. Is these are just founding moments of what would become Dragon Gate USA? So you're seeing one or one or two a year here uh, from the Observer. This is from Figure Four Weekly. Ring of Honor ran this is July 30th, 2007. Ring of Honor ran two major shows in Japan last week in association with Dragon Gate and Noah. The company and the wrestlers were all thrilled, and how everything went down, and the shows were said to be excellent. The July 17th show was in Osaka and Dragon Gate, which seriously may be the biggest wrestling promotion in Japan at the moment. This is Cornel Alvarez, which should give you an idea of the state of the former Big Three at Osaka. Uh, perfect, uh, perfectual Jim number two. The Briscoes beat uh, Genki, Horiguchi, and Jimmy Rave to retain the tag titles. Uh, Ryo Saito and Matt Seidel and Dragon Kid beat Naruki Doi and Masito Yoshino and Delirious when Seidel pinned Delirious. The Briscoes, working twice, beat Shingo and Susumi Yokosuka to retain the tag belt. And Shima and Naramuchi Mara, I'm sorry, Namuchi Marafuji, so Marafuji, uh, and Brian Danielson beat uh, Mochizuki, Davy Richards, and Rocky Romero. That was Masaki Mochizuki when Shima pinned Romero. And once again, if I mispronounce any of these, I do apologize. <laughs> I'm pretty good, but some of them I I, I definitely second guess myself. Uh, we'll move to 
October 29, 2007, uh, from the Figure Four Weekly, Ring of Honor announced that Dragon Gate wrestlers would be working the March 28th and March 29th, 2008 shows in Orlando, the now annual Ring of Honor WrestleMania tie-in, which was also resulted in great business and great shows for the company. Uh, April 21st, 2008, uh, Shima announced on MySpace that Dragon Gate would be running shows in L.A. and Honolulu in September of this year. And followed by another figure four weekly update on April 28th saying the Dragon Gate USA shows take place in L.A. on September 5th and Hawaii on September 8th. All right. So let's stop there for right now. Yeah, I want to go back there for a second because we're talking about uh, Ring of Honor announced Dragon Gate wrestlers would be working Mania weekend. Uh, So during Mania weekend in Orlando, there were two shows as always uh the 28th and 29th 28th was ring of honor dragon gate challenge 2 with new hazard defeating the age of the fall the briscoes defeat typhoon dragon kid and ryo saito and six man tags sima eric stevens and go suzaki defeat the no remorse corpse uh, and then the next night is Supercard of Honor 3. Uh, no more scores defeat the Vulture Squad. You have New Hazard defeating El Generico and Kevin Steen. And then the Muster Outlaws defeat Typhoon in the main event. This so, is stable uh, time during Ring of Honor, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very heavy, uh, heavy Dragon Gate influence on both shows. And... And and that's what we're saying. I I think, I think that 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 WrestleMania weekend shows both of them kind of really sparked the interest. And then you just start to see more integration. And then you you know you see the tie-ins with uh, Ring of Honor going over there, uh, you know, uh, in Japan. And then now you see here now they're pretty much. Japanese wrestlers on every WrestleMania weekend show now uh, for the next couple of years. And then you could see Shima and Dragon Gate kind of see, okay. And that's, I think this is when Shima was getting a little more influence with the company too. kind of see like, okay, maybe there's a market for this to start running in the States for ourselves. Yeah. And just going back to what you just said too, with mania, like WrestleMania, even to this day, that's, the showcase to to blow up, to explode, and to get famous. Um, that's where you're going to get fans from all over the country, all over the planet that are coming in to see these live events. And that's when, like, so many so many names, so many wrestlers have been made over WrestleMania weekend. Whether it be Ring of Honor shows, whether it be uh, Janela's spring break, whether it be anything like that's where you get the most attention. And that was a big deal for Dragon Gate back in the day for them to like, for their expansion is to be showcased here on Mania weekend. Yeah. And, and you know, like I said, now Dragon Gate at this point in 2008 
they want to go in the United States. And we'll continue with the figure four weekly. Uh, from June 17, 2008, Ring of Honor returns to Tokyo on September 13th and 14th. So clearly the last tour was a big success. They'll be using some guys from Dragon Gate, which guarantees strong U.S. DVD sales. And almost they have to fly over less guys from the U.S. Listed as appearing are Nigel McGuinness, Jimmy Jacobs, and Tyler Black, Roger Strong, Brian Danielson, Briscoes, Austin Aries, Davey Richards, and Eddie Edwards. So a lot of the Ring of Honor talent going over to Tokyo um, for these shows. And I th- we're going to talk about it later. And I think more and more as this, uh, these episodes go on, because I think, our, yes, I think our generation still remembers buying wrestling DVDs. Obviously they do. But I think we forget how big DVD sales were for some of these companies. It kept Ring of Honor afloat for years. It kept PWG afloat for years. Yeah. I mean, DVD sales and, you know, here the American audience, they can, they have easier access to seeing Japanese talent if they're on Ring of Honor shows from DVDs. Um, and, and, and cause that's the thing too. I don't, there isn't, you gotta, there's not a lot of translated Japanese wrestling DVDs coming over to the States in this time period. I don't even know if there really is now. I know there is some uh, alternate commentary on some stuff. I know New Japan has alternate commentators. I want to say Noah might too. I could be wrong with that. Uh, But you still can't, for the most part, I can't go and get an all Japan uh, or order an all Japan stream. Let's say, you know, and then it's it's in English. <laughs> yeah, those are pretty hard to come by. Um, you you could you could find anything these days with torrents and with YouTube, but yeah, for a polished finished product with English commentary, uh, something that you don't feel like you're breaking the law trying to access. Yeah, that, that's not easy to get to. But again, um, going and- going back to that about DVD sales. I, we've we've talked about it before, especially our APW episode, where Ring of Honor was started just to replace the revenue that RF Video lost when the ECW went under. It's like the whole Ring of Honor was built on just making money off of DVDs. Yeah, getting special attractions, hitting a niche audience. And I have went to Ring of Honor shows at this time. I'm not sure if you did, Ash. And I remember that they had a huge DVD table of any show they've done under the sun. And I think they were also selling other promotions, DVDs there as well. Uh, but I remember the, the huge merch table. And, and I went to the NOAA weekends in 2008, I think. 2007, I want to see 2008. And that was with Masawa, Marifuji, uh, Morishima, and Kenta. Um, but yeah, DVDs, uh, I, I like, I was in Philadelphia at the armory. I was sitting only a couple rows ahead of the merch table with all the DVDs and they probably sold at least a few hundred DVDs that night, if not more. Yeah. Um, that was a big thing in the two thousands. You go to a wrestling show, you buy a bunch of DVDs, whether it be official DVDs or it's from George Mayfield's table. Yeah. I mean, let's just put it in perspective here. Let's just say the DVDs are fourteen ninety nine, and they sell three hundred fifty, and they're probably selling more. That's an extra five thousand dollars on top of the gate, and all that. And that's just in house. That's not 
DVD sales that are people going to buy online. I mean, I, I could be wrong in this. I mean, and yes, they do do uh, sell a lot of stuff like to promoters, like aprons and turnbuckles and rings and stuff, but high spots is pretty much a thing because of DVD sales. And that's what led to WrestleCon. Yeah. That's what high spots originally was, was the DVD distribution model. And I, I don't think we've gotten to talk about that enough is we've done this independent wrestling deep dive. Me and you've been doing this now, you know, for, for almost two years, it'll be two years, like two months. Um, that is this, I mean, the ring of honor CCW where we probably could have brought it up, but this is probably the biggest DVD lenient promotion that we've probably talked about. For ring of honor. No, for dragon. For dragon. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, where it's such a big part of the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Again, mostly because, uh, at least for the Dragon Gate, for the, the Japanese portion, it wasn't like, with Rig of Honor, they could have came, they could have ran shows in your town, so you could still go see them. And a lot of their stars also worked TNA, they worked Indies, so you could see them elsewhere. Uh Promotion like Dragon Gate, and as we get through the notes here, it become more evident how like Dragon Gate was the top, the top wrestling fed in Japan based on attendance, and they were the hottest at the time. And if you though I thought Noah Dragon was the best, though I thought Noah was the best, I was a Noah guy. I, well, we'll, I like we'll, Dragon Gate, but I will, I I thought Noah was the top. We'll, we'll get to that in the notes, but yeah. Anyway, like they were they were very hot, and like there wasn't an easy way for you for you back then to access that and to access those shows and to see the majority of those stars rare occasion they might do a tour uh but for the most part like you had to buy the dvds to see those dragon gate matches and those dragon gate stars yeah and we gotta remember too at this time 2008 so their their ring of honor is working with dragon gate and noah both of those companies um CCW is working with Big Japan, uh, if I remember correctly. And I want to say New Japan guys are coming into TNA at this time. E- and maybe yes. some All Japan guys before that, because I believe Demora had an All Japan partnership for a little bit. Uh, I want to say yes. I mean, at least Border City. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, total nonstop action. TNA did. I'm just looking to see when Okada came in. <laughs> in fact, um, I think it was a little bit after. I think Okada yeah, was in the Hogan but, years. Yeah, but the, yeah, they were. But they still had a loose affiliation be, prior to that. So yeah. So yeah, what, that was the thing during the the late 2000s. If you were an independent Fed or uh, burgeoning promotion, you want to try to partner with a Japanese company. And uh, we'll move on here to June 23rd, 2008 from uh, The Observer. Uh, Dragon Gate apparently has or is negotiating a TV time slot in Honolulu locally on uh, KUKU TV on Saturday nights at 7.30 p.m. as a prelude to running the market. Pretty smart. Um, I, I, I can see in the notes you're looking up the TV station. So while you're doing it, I'll move on to the next note. Oh, uh, I don't, it doesn't. It doesn't even come. I'm looking for a cuckoo television. <laughs> it, <laughs> no, it, 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 they must have changed their call signs because it doesn't even come up. 
Um, August 4th, 2008, uh, Observer Dragon Gate is running a show on September 5th in Los Angeles with so far announced uh, Genki Hiroguchi versus El Generico uh, Stalker in Chikawa versus Necro Butcher and Dos Karas Sr. and Dragon Kid versus uh, Kenchirio Arai and Taku Awasa. Um, Dos Karas Sr. I mean, I, I, if you're running Los Angeles, you have to have Lucha Libre. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, I love the fact that Necro Butcher never would have pinned him to be in in, in uh, Dragon Gate. They, they must have felt like they need some American stars. But here we, here we see like Dragon Gate starting to like get their feet wet. They probably seen how much money Ring of Honor is making when they're doing these co-branded shows and when they're bringing stars over. So it's no different than what New Japan tried to do for years and years, and now they're finally getting somewhat successful off of where you want to a Japanese company. You, you always start in LA, you start on the West coast. Yes. Well, yeah. Los Angeles and, and Honolulu are very strategic because of the flights. Yeah. The flights from Tokyo are a lot cheaper than like if they go do New York or Philly or Boston. Um, all right. Uh, next note here, September 3rd, 2008, uh, Dragon Gate has TV on, KHON Channel 2, a major station in Hawaii, with Aki Bono. Yes, that Aki Bono is a TV announcer. After they uh, do a September 5th show in Los Angeles, the crew will do a September 8th show in Honolulu, which will also be a TV taping. So that's the uh, Fox affiliate in Honolulu, so a pretty big station. Yeah, so they're on Fox TV in 2008, which... At that point, like, you could, I mean, if you were an indie company, you might be getting out of your local CW and all that, but Fox was probably a pretty big deal, Fox affiliate. I know for us, there wasn't really any independent wrestling here locally on NBC, CBS, Fox, or um, ABC affiliates. Yeah, definitely not during this time time no, period, no. No, and, and wrestling in, in the States on TV isn't a huge draw at, you know, so very interesting that they got a TV deal. Uh, I mean, in, in, in Hawaii in 2008, um, well, hold on. Let me, let me look again to see what company actually owns it. Cause you're better. Your best bet is to get TV on a independent station. Not really independent. I mean like affiliate affiliate, but like a, a company, a station that's not owned by a conglomerate, like a locally owned station because they have more freedom. Um, let me see. They were owned by Nexstar Media Group, which is one of the big ones. Yeah. Um, I mean, ne- Nexstar owned the Fox over here for a while. I don't know if they still do own the Fox in Buffalo, but they did for a while. It seems that. Oh no, they Nexstar bought them in 2016, so they weren't owned by then. Okay. Um. Yeah, it seems like they were independent up until. 2007, they were bought by New New Vision Television, which is a small company. But regardless, it, it when you from experience, and I'm sure anyone in media will confirm too. Like if you're trying to get a TV deal, uh, your best bet is always like the small independent, independently owned companies because they're more inclined to try different things and. You know, try wrestling. Um, they also be cheaper because they need programming. They don't always get the best deals on syndicated packages. Um, if you went to a Sinclair station, you're 
probably out of luck because even without the Ring of Honor deal in place, they they usually have like strict formats they have to follow on what they can air, and it comes out for the parent company. So your best bet is always to get like a small a, a small locally owned business, which seems to be what they got here. Um, one other thing I want to talk about this is Aki Bono <laughs> as a TV announcer. Because he never, I mean, as far as I know, he never wrestled in Dragon Gate. Uh, I know he did All Japan. He did Hustle. And maybe one or two. He actually, well, that promotion that Tajiri might have been running after Hustle. I know you know what I'm talking about because we knew some people that went over and did tours there. Wrestle 1? Wrestle 1, yes. Aki Bono was in that. Oh, um, he was in Pro Wrestling Zero One. Zero, okay. Uh, uh no, I don't I'm, think he ever wrestled Dragon Gate. Actually, um, yeah, uh, he did actually. September September twenty really? first, he appeared in a battle royal on oh, a okay. show in two thousand eight. That, uh, that was won by Tazawa. Um, Akira Tazawa currently on WWE television, folks. Yeah. That's why this is going to be a fun episode. We're talking about Shima, who spent a little time in uh, AEW. Shingo, who's like the guy in New Japan right now. Um, but he uh, he had he had a handful of matches in about two years in the company. Uh, so, but I also want to talk about the Saki Bono thing. It's like when you find out like who some of the uh, other language commentators are for like Impact or like WWE and like ever like everybody like no like was surprised when they started doing the, the like Ray Rougeau, who was long even before that on the French announce team for WWE. But I, I'm pretty sure like Sylvain Grenier was doing impact for the last like 10 years. Oh yeah. He's still there. Yeah. yeah as, as a French commentator. Ray Rougeau, who was the longest tenured employee of WWE, it seemed up until the pandemic, who was employed consecutively since 87. Yeah. After he retired, they just, Put him on French commentary, right? Yeah, and I've always said like that's one of the best jobs to have in WWE at that time was a foreign language announcer because you fall through the cracks. Vince doesn't even know Vince can't exists. produce you. Yeah, he can't produce you, so you could say whatever you want. I still got disappointed that they never put Alex Wright on the German announce team. <sighs> they should have. Uh We'll uh, we'll move on though with the show here, uh, September fifteenth, two thousand eight, and uh, this we'll the nitty gritty here. Uh, this is from the Observer. Dragon Gate made its U.S. debut on September fifth in Bell Gardens, Los Angeles, before five hundred fans. And a funny story: when they announced that Vampiro wasn't there, everyone cheered. They didn't say why. They found eighties Lucha Libre star Kendo, who was really spectacular back in his day, but hasn't done much in about fifteen years, as the replacement. El Generico pinned uh, Genki Hiroguchi in the opener with a cradle brain buster. Uh, the, the rest of Real Hazard, uh, Gama, Yamato, and Yasuki, uh, Yakushi, sorry, folks, I'm, I'm Yasushi Kanda attacked Generico, leaving World One, uh, BXB Hulk, and Masato Yoshino and Naruki Doi to make the save. Uh, they started arguing in Japanese until Doi told Gama to speak English. Necro Butcher beat Stalker Ichikawa in what was billed as a dangerous comedy match. Uh, Butcher pinned Ichikawa, 
Ichikawa, the perennial comedy job guy, in 18 seconds after a punch. All right, well, there, there's Butcher's role there. He demanded a rematch, which Necro won with a powerbomb on chairs. Dragon Gate and Kendo beat uh, Kenichiro Arai and Taku Awasa when Dragon Gate pinned Arai with an ultra Hurakarana. Uh, Kendo blew up pretty quick, which hurt the match. Hiroguchi pinned Kendo when a man wearing a Dos Karas mask hit the super kick and schwine on Hiroguchi. Given he did the winning move of Shima, it was pretty obvious who was it going to be when they pulled off the mask. Shima, who is out with a serious neck injury, thanked everyone coming to the show. Uh, Shingo Takagi pinned Pac in a match where the fans were chanting, This is awesome. Both men got a standing ovation at the finish. Hayabusa was there selling jewelry, and people could get their photos taken with him. Hayabusa was able to stand up and using crutches and still needed assistance just to stand. Ryo Saito and Susumi uh, Yokosuka uh, kept the open, the twin gate titles, beating Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks, who are Southern California indie wrestlers who did the last Dragon Gate tour and last week won the PWG tag team titles. Uh, biggest move was Saito using a fisherman suplex on the top rope on Matt. Main event saw Gama and Yamato and Kanda beat Hulk and Yoshino and Doi to win the Open the Triangle G- Gate Championship. Uh, they used a lot of objects, ending when Gama pinned Hulk with a tombstone. I'm sorry, after a tombstone pile driver on the top rope. Uh, after the show, Doi thanked everyone and said they would be looking to come back next year. Vampiro then claimed he was going to fly to Los Angeles for the Dragon Gate show he was booked on. He couldn't find his passport. He claimed he had ring gear, a cell phone, documents, and his passport stolen from him backstage on September 4th while wrestling in Mazeltan, but no idea who did it. Yeah, the the Vampiro power was a was from a different section in the observer, but I think it just wanted to put it in there just because uh, it kind of tied in. Um, yeah. Well, so here they are. They're running as Dragon Gate. No Ring of Honor uh, backing. There is some Ring of Honor talent, but this almost looks more like a PWG show with Dragon Gate talent than it does Ring of Honor. Which would you think it's kind of planting the seeds? that they would want to do something on their own without Ring of Honor at all. Yeah, I think I think much like what New Japan has always tried to do, where they see the success that these other companies have by using their talents, that now they want to go out it go at it alone. But I think they also realize that they can't do a full one hundred percent Japanese show. With Japanese talent that you that you need to throw in some locals in there as well, and since they're in Southern California, you know you're going to use PWG guys because they're local. For all we know, they rented PWG's ring. Yeah, we, we don't know. I mean, but yeah, I mean, you got the Young Bucks here. Um, you know, at this time, starting to become a real big deal, uh, and you know, and they would end up. Obviously, I think them being big, big stars in Japan is what really helped their career, uh, you know, as far as them getting to where they are now. Uh, other than that, any other notes to talk about here? I mean, this just looks like an awesome show. The Necro Butcher stuff with Sakura Chikawa actually sounds pretty awesome. I do want to see that. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's kind of really it. 
all everyone want to touch about, but you see here they're going to Los Angeles. They're not doing too bad. 500 fans and in 2008 for an indie show. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and just kind of playing the seeds and, and they're doing it without really ring of honor. Uh, October 1st, 2008, uh, Dragon Gate ran September 6th in Honolulu for 898 fans, with about 100 of them coming from Japan on a tour. Uh, Naruki Doya and Masato Yoshino and BXB Hulk beat Dragon Gate and Pac and Shingo Takagi in the main event. Uh, Genki Hiroguchi kept the open the Brave Gate title, beating Nayuki Tanazaki. Uh, they also ran September 11th in Corican Hall, drawing what was announced to sell out 2,300 real numbers closer to 15 with Takagi and Dragon Kid over Takamichi Noko and Masaki Mochizuki in the main event, building to a Takagi versus Mich- Michinoko singles match. Um, I can't bring it up, net, folks. I mean, it took him a long time, but Shingo Takagi is a giant star in New Japan, and honestly, he probably should have been a, that, a top guy a lot sooner. Um, you know, here he is in 2008 putting on great matches, and now in 2022, he's He's a top guy. Uh, and then other- also, like, this is one day after the L.A. show. Now they're in Honolulu, uh, yeah. drawing close to a 1,000. So and- and d- did Leah Maivia get her cut of that? All right. So I want to talk about Hawaii. <laughs> uh, first of all, Pac, too. We cannot be reminiscent. Pac is a big part of this, too. Folks, It's a lo- what's awesome about shows like this, it's a lot of, like, wow, that person's still around, and they're having a gr- they're doing great. Pac is the AEW All Atlantic Champion, and I think he must love what that gimmick is. He just goes to independents around the the world and defends the title against really good wrestlers. So good for Pac. <laughs> um, uh, but I want to talk about Hawaii. So almost nine hundred fans. Hawaii is interesting because you. You hear stories, you know, and there's some very fictionalized stories on Young Rock, (laughs) but you hear stories of how great and how fun and how awesome a territory was in Hawaii. And that would be the place that you would go before a Japanese tour or after a Japanese tour. It was it was a nice buffer uh, to go and work Hawaii. And I understand flights is the issue, and that's probably why this isn't a you know, this wouldn't be a debatable conversation, but isn't it interesting that in, there is no big independent that has ran Hawaii or really anybody, but WWE that has ran Hawaii probably in the last 20 years. It is very surprising dragon gate here, but yeah, it is very surprising just because it is the halfway point between, between Japan and the U S. So it is very, very weird um there there's there there is wrestling in hawaii um nothing that's really nothing that's really noteworthy or newsworthy it seems because no one really talks about it um i can't really see flights being that expensive let me take a look just pick like a random random date here I mean, I would think it is a vacation spot, so you think there might be cheaper flights. But yeah, because I mean, you can get Florida, you can get 
if you want to work Orlando, if you want to work Florida, you can get cheap flights. Oh, yeah. And you can oh. probably get a lot of packages that include hotel and like a day at Universal and that. Oh, right here from from LAX to Honolulu, I just picked a random Friday uh, in late August. It is $184 per person. All right, so you fly from L.A., but I mean – what? Is, wait, we got over. some off the, we got some companies in California that are getting a lot of buzz. Well, let me ta- let me let me check. Let me I'm check. talking you, West Coast Pro. You Prestige. Yeah. GCW runs the West Coast. Tell Brett Lauderdale to run Hawaii. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> yeah, I just I just looked up from from Newark to Honolulu. Three hundred thirty four dollars per person. It's not bad at all. So you, it's United too. It's not a cutthroat airline. I love United. All right. I'm a so. premier member. <laughs> So Hawaii, let's let's get some more big independent wrestling shows in Hawaii. Oh, let's do a bash on the uh, let's see a bash at the beach type show in Hawaii. Oh, beautiful volcano mountains in the background. Actually, you, you know, I've I, I've <laughs> given ideas here. I, I've I've had to produce shows in Las Vegas at 105 degree weather. I produced. GCW backyard in 95 degree weather. I can't imagine how hot it would be in Hawaii on the beach. You'll get the ocean. You're gonna get the ocean breeze. (sighs) It's an island. It's surrounded by wind and water. I, I mean, it's a fair point. I mean, they've got Walmart to go buy a canopy. That's fine. There you go. Uh, Stay in the shade. You, you could buy the big blue canopy for an entrance way, like a lot of indie companies did in the 2000s. Um, we bought, we we had Lauderdale buy like five of those for backyard. They were great. We just said, <laughs> we I I just built like a like an island of them around me. So when the sun set, there was no place where the sun could like sneak in because I had canopies all around me. It was great. I'm 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 looking forward to uh, the, the the day because that. I, I, it wouldn't be far fetched that GCW Honolulu would happen. Uh, he did Wyoming, so disappointed that was before my time there. I wanted to do Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll move on here though uh, to November third, two thousand eight. Observer uh, in a move that virtually caught everyone by surprise, Ring of Honor owner Kerry Silken fired. Gabe Sapolsky after the October 25th show in Edison, New Jersey, and will be replacing him with Adam Pierce as part of a new direction with the company. The move came as a shock to Sapolsky, the booker and the public face of the company since its inception in 2002. Silken categorized it as a move that was not the result of any one thing over the weekend, but something that had been planned and they were going to make some changes. The product is going to be more of a basic pro wrestling show with clearly defined heels and faces. They're going with the mentality of presenting two people a face and a heel with an issue in settling uh, with a match. Ring of Honor has been losing money all year. And DVD sales, which, folks, remember, that is the crucial part of this. Uh, The company's main revenue source has been on the decline. Uh, There was an already... A round of cost cutting earlier in the year where less talent were being used on shows and attempted to limit fly-ins. Pierce, who lives in Southern California, had been used less often after Pierce regained 
the NWA title from Brett Albright on the Ring of Honor September 20th show in Philadelphia. Sapolsky has decided, had decided to stop using Pierce. If you want to listen to that, listen to our NWA uh, deep dive uh, when it go when we go from 2002 to to, to the purchase of Billy Corgan. Uh, even though Silken was the owner, he had very little input in the product itself. Noting Sapolsky was a dictator, not necessarily meant as a negative term, but he took full control of the product itself while people offered suggestions nobody got in his way. Now, the feeling is that even though Silken isn't going to book, that if Silken feels someone should be champion, he'll be champion. Silken liked the positive buzz that the product had gotten since its inception, but it was not the style of wrestling he personally enjoyed. When the buzz lessened and DVD sales declined, more and more people started questioning the direction. These were people suggesting to him that it was time for a change. Booker's traditionally would burn on a year or two and then decline, and Sapolsky had been doing it for six and a half years straight. Silken, as a fan who grew up in 1970s WWF and Bruno San Martino in Philadelphia, so according to a person close to the situation, that's the style he wants things patterned after instead of the very physical Japanese-inspired style using moves that appealed to the current fan base, which wants to see state-of-the-art wrestling. However, the company has told people that there was no, be no style change at all. And not a 70s style, although Pierce sent a memo detailing many changes he wants to implement. Uh, the fan base peaked more than a year in most markets, although New York City had its best crowds in this year. There had been a meeting on the September 19th pay-per-view taping in Boston with Sapolsky and the talent to discuss how things can improve, could have been improved. Uh, there were some who felt there was too many high spots and near falls in matches that if it burned out... It, I'm sorry, matches, and that if it had burned out the audience, Sapolsky disagreed, but did say he were there for too many ch- chop exchanges and super kicks, but that the near falls weren't the problem. Still, there had been pressure from the outside that he acknowledged, and he had taken, or he had talked of late of matches with less near falls as being a positive trait. There was talk of toning down the physicality of the product, and a lot of the wrestlers were feeling the effect of the hard style. But after the show, Sapolsky noted that the next day was a show in Philadelphia at the Alhambra, which is the ECW arena, and knew how demanding the audience in that building traditionally was and wanted to put in an extra special show. One performer questioned it, noting because that's what the ECW arena fans were getting in 1998 doesn't mean they have to cater to that same mentality today. In Pierce's first memo to the talent, the first noted that he believed in kayfabe and would not publicly be acknowledged as Booker. He said that the matches should be less high spots and he wanted to slow down the wrestling and slow down the product in general. He said it going back to basics. He didn't want the wrestlers going all out in every match, but to build old style cards using more humor and make wrestling more of a variety show with different style matches. Sapolsky himself also stressed different style matches, and that too much of the same thing burned out the crowd. He said there would be seven or eight matches per card and wanted shows at two and a half to three hours. Ring of Honor shows often lasted four hours in the past, and although early in the year when financial cutbacks were being made, Sapolsky tried to shorten the shows, feeling that perhaps the longer shows were a reason why why fans didn't come back. There will be other financial cutbacks with the feeling they'll book 18 wrestlers on a show and cut back in fly-ins. It's said that Silkin was expecting there at first it could be a dip in attendance and business overall with the new direction and that they would lose some of the current fan base. Sapolsky's product was criticized for being too much of a niche product and that had its core audience had loved it, but that didn't appeal enough to people. But that misses the key point. 
its limitations were not the product itself, but the lack of exposure and of people were, who were television-made stars. Taking Brian Danielson and Nigel McGuinness into Cleveland or Dayton is only going to draw a few hundred people because they had never been on television in those markets. So you're limited what you can draw. But the problem isn't the match that the two delivered on top as they did a different, slower style of moves that were done in pro wrestling years ago as opposed to newer moves that suddenly their match would draw more people. With the limitations of having no television and not using stars off TNA or WWE television, there's probably little they can do that will turn things around until the environment itself changes. When it's a product that makes its money selling DVDs, you have to have a high match quality to get people to buy house show DVDs, but with the proliferation of YouTube and the glut of DVDs on the market, the glut of piracy of those DVDs, the business is tougher than ever. Uh, in the MMA world, which is perceived as hot, DVD sales of somewhat well-known independent shows like that, like Ring of Honor, appeal to a hardcore audience and are based on having wild matches that were healthy a few years ago are non-existent today. So it may be a marketplace issue uh, that there is an answer for. Um, I'm going to take a break and kind of touch, touch on that first part, and then we'll continue on here. Yeah, there's, there's a lot there's, here. There, there's a lot here. But this is... Uh, this this is a big like yes. turning point yes. in here, and that's why like yeah we need to go back and just touch on a few things because obviously like as Dave is putting in there where the turning point in Ring of Honor right here is where right now businesses dipped in 2008 and Carrie's made a change and him and Adam Pierce are no longer going to be flying in a lot of talent, which means less Japanese talent plus change in the style because they are under the belief that they're burning out some towns with the super indie style and they want to slow it down. And how funny is that literally a year later TNA would change their style too? Well, to this more old school. I mean, cause obviously Hogan was coming in. Yeah. Well, TNA also switched to a four sided ring and completely. Yep killed any momentum that they were building but that's that they're, they're not an indie so we we'll never yeah. have a we'll but i'm just saying it, it's funny them, like yeah. these companies think they have to change to the wwe style I, I mean i that's kind of what we see now with some elements in the AEW, but again that's that's for another discussion like you don't have to be wwe light like if that's not what got you to the dance like you don't need to change that to get a to become a more mainstream product. Do you think this was this beginning? And I know it took, you know, eleven years, but was this the beginning of the end for Ring of Honor? I mean, there was some bright moments after this with an, under Anna Pierce and an under Delirious and all that, but. I feel like it's not, it's definitely a different, like, you know, Gabe Sapolsky, uh, a lot of people have different opinions on him. Um, I mean, I want to say his Ring of Honor was, in my opinion, the best Ring of Honors uh, as far as match quality and the type of talent that were there. But, I mean, they do change their style a little bit. They go on HGNet and then, you know, Sinclair buys them and they end up having to sell to Tony Khan. And yeah, like I said, there was great wrestling, obviously, from 2008 to 2020, 2021. But 
this was probably, well, you'd say this is a bad change for them. I'm not saying Sapolsky should have been the booker for another 15 years, but. That's I mean, tough. That's, 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 that's a tough question to answer, especially if you're saying the beginning of the end, but they lasted another 12 years. I, I feel like it's the beginning of the end. It's basically the end of that core business model that we talked about where they live and die off of DVD sales. They have because, to get a TV deal at this point. They yeah, have to. Yeah, to survive, DVD yeah. sales because during the Sinclair era, even during HGNet, but more so during the Sinclair era when they were owned by Sinclair, their main revenue source was TV. It was creating content for the local affiliates. So their DVD sales, even though they're selling DVDs at that – still selling DVDs and doing the Honor Club, that wasn't their main focus going forward. So I think when you look at it that way, yeah, yeah this was the the end of that classic Ring of Honor era that booked based on what would sell DVDs and turned into booked based on what's going to draw a house and what's going to get a TV rating. And and what I meant by that, I mean, and like, yeah, like I said, but like this style of wrestling that Sapolsky's booking, this nonstop boom, 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 boom. I mean, that's current day independent wrestling. Yeah, and that style doesn't translate good for TV either. Like you, that is do, true. You do a three, four hour show. But I think AEW is a lot of that at times. Yeah, yeah, AEW like. AW is adapting the best they can, but there's still times where if I'm watching Dynamite, I just feel – I feel the commercial breaks are out of place just because it's that style where when you work TV is completely different than working a – like if you work in a house show without TV or even like a streaming pay-per-view where you still have freedom. The wrestlers have freedom to – work their match and they don't have they don't have to fit into a format don't have to fit into a time a time slot and they don't have to take breaks for commercials they don't have to do a dive to the outside and then have to be in picture in picture uh it's an entirely different animal when you work in that and yeah ring of honor did change because of that and this does seem like so i agree like this is the end of that era of that that pure ring of honor era where it's like just go out balls to the wall and do the best you can yeah they're just putting on dream matches and not doing a lot of angles and all that um just some other notes i want to touch on this before i continue the part there uh they talk about danielson and nigel not be able to draw big crowds because they're not like huge names and i think that too, where Ring of Honor, I think after this, do get a couple names from the past to come in and all that. But I think they also, Ring of Honor, heavily relied on a lot of TNA stars at a certain point. Well, they were Ring of Honor stars first, but and then when those guys weren't appearing there anymore because TNA didn't want them, you know, yeah, they didn't have that crossover stars. But that could be a bad thing to change it up and get a crossover start. Yeah, too. yeah, definitely. But there were there are times in Ring of Honor when they're running like Ohio, where they're running these towns. They would get a Jim Cornette, or they would get a Midnight Express, or or some 
a few old timers. They were to doing just make they had Steamboat and Foley, and this yeah. was like oh four oh five, yeah. But they um, were they were they were, they they wouldn't work. They wouldn't work like in a Legends match. It was more of just making the appearance so they could put them on a flyer and sign autographs to a meet and greet to try to try to bring a much wider audience base. But I do want to talk about this. So in 2009, so this is late 2008. They're talking about we need names to get people in the door, right? Well, in 2009, and I don't know how many appearances they made, but Bushwhacker Luke shows up. D'Lo Brown shows up. Jim Cornette shows up. Um, who else do we have here? Lance Storm shows up again. Um, I mean, which he, he was there in the past. Sanjay Dutt is back for being on TNA television. Roderick Strong is back there after, I mean, he, he was on TNA television. Steve Carino is a big part of the company. I mean, these are some pretty big names that they're trying to bring in to grow the, uh, you know, the typical fan wrestling fan. Yeah, trying trying to trying to use more household names. Yeah, so Sanjay was actually a manager at that point, which he is now in 2022. Uh, and yeah, Lance Storm was listed part time the wrestler for them uh, there, and D'Lo Brown was doing being a producer. But uh, and then oh, this was the this was the year that Ric Flair was the ambassador for them in 2009 when Flair showed up. Oh, so when he only showed up for like. Yes, one one or two shows out of the deal, and uh, then he owed them a bunch of money. Yes, you could see that was you know Pierce's uh, vision uh, was to do a little bit of an old school style, um, not totally go away from that strong style, but kind of use some more you know marketable names. And Cornette and Delirious would do that as time more and more as time went on as well. Um, you know, we t- we we touched on DVD sales going down. And I think we can, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, that was their model. And then if maybe the audience was just burned out and didn't want to buy DVDs of, of these type matches anymore at that point. But we'll uh, we'll continue on here. Uh, and so Silken is apparently going on with the idea that in the long run, the new direction of the company would appeal to a wider group of fans. So in time, this will end up a positive as a positive time will tell. Or it, it would end up as positive time would tell. None of the wrestlers were aware of the move until it was reported on various websites and a state was, statement was released on the Ring of Honor site. It's also put a lot of questions on people who are fearing for the future of the company, since most believe part of the reason was frustration by silking over money losses. Uh, in the current economic climate, nobody expects that this is going to be able to turn around anytime soon. One wrestler very close to the situation noted that it could be the start of something better, but it also could be the beginning of the end. In the first unannounced move, Samoa Joe will be brought back in November 22nd pay-per-view taping in Chicago, although it's very un- unlikely TNA would allow Joe to appear in the pay-per-view portion of the show. However, that was a booking move Sapolsky made with TNA several weeks ago and not a Pierce move. The last Chicago drew about last Chicago show drew about 600 fans, down well down from usual numbers, and the show goes head-to-head with a PCW event in Oak Lawn, Illinois, only a mile away, which features a Ric Flair autograph session and the uh, pro debut of Reed Flair. 
Uh, Silken himself was close-mouthed as to who would be put in charge, how things would change, and what was unhappy about that. He said the promotion will continue with business as usual with its scheduled events on November 7th in Markham, Ontario, which is right outside of Toronto, and November 8th in Montreal, and that changes would become evident at that point. Sapolsky had booked the company since its inception in uh, 2000, early 2002 and handed most of the publicity uh, and media relations. He won the Observer's Booker of the Year uh, four straight years from 2004 to 2007, but Ring of Honor had been hurt because the independent scene had not produced any new stars in recent years the caliber of Samoa Joe, Low-Key, Christopher Daniels, and Brian Danielson, who were the nucleus of the company at first. Uh, with no new talent uh, capable of headlining and developing in the independent scene, the this year was spent largely trying to recycle wrestlers already there, and in doing so, the spark was gone. Still, the two most recent shows at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York drew the company's two biggest crowds, one in its history, and the promotion looked more major league at those shows than ever before. In a market they run regularly, they greatly outdrew TNA in the same complex in Manhattan, even with all of TNA's inherent advantages and only TNA's second time. In recent years, there have been preliminary discussions with a few different television stations, but the stations never pulled the trigger. Although never said publicly, Sapolsky was negative on Ring of Honor going to pay-per-view, but as a frontman for the company, presented in a positive manner as if he was 100% behind the idea. The pay-per-view events were well-received and got high critical praise, but they had inherited limitations given they were on a two-month delay, tape delay and interfered with Sapolsky's booking show-to-show with Angle's progressing as the DVDs were released. If it was asking a lot to have a fan base that needed to buy a lot of DVDs to keep fully up to fully keep up with the product, the fan base of Ring of Honor shows seemed to know every angle and every aspect of every character far more than fans of WWE or TNA shows who can follow the product through weekly television. Ring of Honor's pay-per-view numbers were released and were more so insignificant within the pay-per-view industry that nobody tracked them. The numbers were rumored to be along the same lines that TNA did for their live shows in the early Nashville days before it had television, which was a little better than most would have expected when they got on pay-per-view. After the first contract expired, it was renewed for a second year, so it was not a failure. Even though Canadian numbers were terrible, they were pulled in that country at one point, and they are pulled in that country at one point. Several said Silken had become frustrated with money losses. Ring of Honor is believed to have lost its entire existence Less than WCW used to lose in a week in 2000, and less than TNA used to lose in a month in its early days, but Silken is 100% owner, and while well off, it's hardly a giant corporation. The reality is that the Christmas season, traditionally huge for the company, was not going to turn things around as expected to the current climate. The expectations are their significant cost-cutting, and with Sapolsky out of the picture, there will be less arguing regarding the moves being made to lower the cost of the shows. There had been differences from the start, uh, Sapolsky used to do much of the writing from home, often late at night, and would also sleep in and not go to the office in the morning. There was This would lead to some resentment from the rest of the staff who were always there. There were always going to be differences, and there was going to be a push to get the title back to Danielson from Nigel McGuinness, but in reality, who holds the title wasn't going to be a major difference at this point. Sapolsky, while disappointed, conceded that he understood why the decision was made and admitted that after six and a half years, he was burned out. He compared to what he did to the stories about pro and college football coaches who during the season eat, sleep, and breathe football 24 hours a day, but with wrestling, the season never ended and categorized himself at this point as a coach who had become a, or who had become a losing team. He noted 
Silka needed a motivation to keep things going and at least the mentality that changes are being made, that at least the theory they're going to lead to the product that appeals to a wider variety of fans in the long run is motivation. Several newcomers from Chikara Pro debuted on October 25th in Edison, New Jersey, including Brody Lee, Cheech and Cloudy, and the Orsirian or- or- Portal. Uh, some believe that the pressure on Sapolsky to use more guys from that group, but in actuality, this past weekend shows were booked by Sapolsky, who wanted some fresh faces to start new directions so he could peak angles for the final battle show after Christmas at the Hammerstein Ballroom. There was recent announced deals to bring in GHC heavyweight champion uh, Kensuke Sasaki and Katashiko Nakajima for the final two shows of the year on December 26th in Philadelphia and December 27th in the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York. They were also put together at some point time back, or put together some time back. The latter show has a strong advanced. Um, as for Sabolski, it's hard to say that he would fit uh, where he would fit in because wrestling is so constricted and doesn't look like any place to land. Um, we're not going to really kind of go over this. Kind of gives just why he formed Ring of Honor with Feinstein. And we and we touched on that uh, before in the uh, APW episode. Um, and just move on to the final part of this, and then we'll go back and touch on everything. Uh, Sapolsky's name had been mentioned TNA in the past before Conan and TNA had their split. Conan heavily pushed Sapolsky to be on the booking team because he liked the way he developed talent and his angles. He pushed Sapolsky to Kurt Angle, who had power. Angle said he would push for him to Dixie Carter, but in reality, nobody in TNA ever called Sapolsky, and no matter what his success was on the independent level, TNA wasn't isn't about to bring a booker in from a diff- with a different vision of pro wrestling than Jeff Jarrett's belief of what the optimum way to do pro wrestling is. Plus, no matter what his successes may have been, he also has a strike against him that he never wrote weekly television, even though he structured his house shows as DVD tapings, which were like episodic television shows. But to the outside, the belief is that makes him unproven. His odds of getting into WWE aren't good either. Uh, that will change years later uh, because they're looking for people who have produced and directed television shows and tacked that anything done in wrestling, if it wasn't in WWE, then it doesn't count. It's possible he can get an entry-level writing job, but that's a quick burnout. Sapolsky himself discounts going to either place. He felt TNA was a closed company and the people in the power in the end will protect each other to make sure everyone stays in power. The last thing they want is someone with new ideas and new concepts because the worst thing for those in power would be if new ideas work. For now, he's taken a break from wrestling. He booked uh, Full Impact Pro as an experimental brand and also while in Florida, they would do the production work on the DVDs. He said that uh, without having to be there for the DVDs and his involvement, and Full Impact Pro is going to come to an end. Which he would still, and we'll, we'll kind of work backwards here, he would still have some involvement in Full Impact Pro, probably until he t- totally bows out of, uh, of the World Wrestling Network. But, yeah, just to kind of touch on this, uh, kind of move backwards. Yeah, I remember hearing rumors that he was going to go to TNA and, and that never happened. And, and that's, that, that that's kind of sad because it, he put him in charge of the X division. I yeah. mean, give him the, and give him the X division and he would have made magic with that. Um, move backwards a little further. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was trying to integrate some uh, new faces in there. Um, I mean, kind of new faces. I mean, Cheech and Cloudy were 
already there in the early days. And then at this point, too, Brody's already Brody was already there with the Age of the Fall. He wasn't a consistent character. Yeah, he made he made a few. Yeah, he made a handful of appearances prior to this. Um, I mean, six and a half years that would definitely lead to burnout. Uh, Carrie Silken. So, um, a guy I want I I've I've briefly have met Carrie, but not haven't had a real conversation with him. Would love to have a uh, conversation with uh, Carrie Silken. He seems to be one of the most interesting men ever uh ian riccoboni talks very highly of him whenever i hear ian talk about him on 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 podcasts and whatnot um but yeah you gotta remember this is carrie silken he is just a guy there isn't a corporation behind him and this would what we're talking about would lead to Cornette getting him to sell with the sinclair um because carrie couldn't really keep it going much longer at this point he's having trouble keep it going uh yeah, because he's only one man. He's funding everything. Like it, you get to a breaking point after a while. Um, Samoa Joe, I think he did work that show, but yeah, I don't think he was on the pay per view. Um, and then Joe, I don't think Joe was consistent there. Uh, no, that was during during that era. Uh, you could use TNA guys; they just couldn't appear on TV. Yep. But one of the interesting things that this touched on and they're totally right. And I don't think we think about it when we do this is 2008, the U S economy suffered really big. You had, especially during this time in late 2008, yes, that's, yes. that was the financial break, uh, financial meltdown. Yeah. 2008, it was a bad year for the U S economically. And when you can't afford your mortgage, are you churning out 20 to 30 dollars for a ring of honor dvd like probably 25 bucks after shipping for just one so yeah i know i know we we've talked about it before and like it's the common excuse for like why mid-south went under is like oh the economy and the oil producing states and the the core cities but you know and that there is truth to that too when the economy goes down like that you're gonna you're going to cut out some unneeded expenses, and a lot of times that's entertainment. So, you know, if you're spending twenty, thirty, forty dollars or more per month on wrestling DVDs, and the economy takes a hit, and you know you got to re you got to rethink your finances. Yeah, I, and like two thousand eight. TNA wasn't the worst, but I always consider 2008 one of the worst years in pro wrestling. The WWE product was pretty unbearable. Yeah, I I can give you that. Uh, there's been some bad years in wrestling, but yeah, I can I can agree with you to an extent on that. Uh, one one thing, one benefit I have is that I don't really remember too much of 2008 with WWE. Or occasionally, I remember. <laughs> yeah, we we've had this talk before. Because that was around the time, too, like, I was on the road most every weekend with my own career, and it was starting to pick up around this time. So for me, you know, I never, like, Raw would be on the background when I'd get home, but, like, SmackDown, most of the time I wasn't paying attention. I might be already be on the road. Um, 
and there are, there have been there's been times the last few years where I might go on the network, me and my roommates will go on and turn on a random SmackDown from 08, and I have no memory whatsoever. Yeah, I've been there when, we've, when they put those on. Uh, yeah, you've been over for those. Like yeah. it, it, it's it's it, it's like a forgotten era too. So I was a co-host of a wrestling talk radio show at this time in college when I was going to college. The first version of Turnbuckle Talk. Uh, I don't recommend the current version. Uh, uh, That that was the successor to a radio show that I produced five years earlier on the same network. My my incarnation of Turnbuckle Talk and WBNY. And I watched everything because we had to talk about it. And yeah, 2008 was rough. Even TNA had some bleak moments in 2008. But... I would take 2008, 2009 over what 2010 became for them, but that's another story for another day. Um, but yeah, uh, it. I think we have to factor that. We have to factor the economy. We have to factor that, that honestly, the wrestling business as a whole is just down. People just aren't interested. People are losing interest. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said. You're going to have diehards, and I think you would agree with me, Ash. You're going to have diehards in every type of promotion. So no matter how anything else is going, people are always going to watch Ring of Honor. They're always going to watch AEW. They're always going to watch MLW, NWA. The list goes on and on. GCW, all that. But let's just say the WWE, right, just starts tanking ratings. And and maybe this is a bad analogy now, but then it was a good analogy. If the biggest wrestling promotion in the world, or at least the country, isn't doing well, that common wrestling fan probably is just going to lump it all together and go, ah, wrestling kind of sucks now. And not know that they might enjoy a Ring of Honor show. But they know how bad WWE is, so ah, wrestling kind of sucks now. Yeah. And they yeah, just lump uh... everything together. I mean, it's probably a bad analogy to do now because I think AEW has really actually established itself as a real healthy alternative. Yeah, I think now it's gotten away from that, but it's it was like that. It's traditionally always been like that. Yeah, it was like that. Like the business for decades lived and died off of what WWE did. WWE was hot in the eighties. Wrestling was hot. WWE had a down period in the early nineties, and wrestling was down. Uh, It was up in the nineties. Back down. We've seen those indie draws at the Attitude Era. Yeah, like we've like we talked about before. Promotions having Brutus Beefcake. Yeah, you're drawing, drawing a thousand, thousand people. <laughs> yeah, like it it's insane how well the indies did during that era. Um but again, then yeah, it went down in the two thousands. Uh, I think in the last five years, I think we're a little recession proof. Um I say that now and I'm probably gonna be eating those words in like six months if we if the country does go into recession, but um I feel like the business is not going the business is not living or dying off of WWE and that's been proven with the fact of WWE's ratings have been the worst they've ever been at least on cable and AEW still AEW is still kind of kind of increasing you you know more you could explain it better with your economics yeah. views but so like in indies indies are still doing well like the indies are not really taking a dip for the most part. Let's just say we go into economic recession, right? I think 
the biggest thing an economic recession hits is live ticket sales. For WWE, even a substantial hit wouldn't crush them because of TV rights deals. Um, AEW does do well because on live event sales, I, I, I don't know without really looking at it how much of a factor it is on their bottom line. We don't we don't have their public numbers. They're not a publicly traded company. Um, so they might suffer a little bit from an economic recession. But once again, if what's to say we go into an economic recession next year and they're already negotiated their big TV deal for 2024, 2025, then then it's different. Um because I think we are in we are now on the, the age of streaming and TV rights. And we talk about how DVD sales, you know, we're fading out in 2008. Um, and here I think live of live ticket sales are not, they're not your preliminary income for a lot of companies. I mean, impact doesn't go on the road. I mean, if they do, they, they only run small arenas. MLW runs, you know, decent sized arenas, but it's not, they're relying on TV and, and streaming. And well, I feel like a, a recession would hit, People actually going out and doing things. And I don't know if that would hurt any, most wrestling companies. I'd like to say it might hurt AEW the most. Yeah, any any company that relies on ticket sales. But yeah, just to add to what you said, like oh, there was a lot of super indie feds. I think a lot, of, a lot of these shindies, a lot of the lower tier companies that their primary source of income is ticket sales and the friends and family companies that sell to friends and family and that's how they live and die like those those will suffer those will suffer but companies and I'm not being biased I work for those companies but like a lot of the top tier indie companies that are that have a viable streaming business plan and even the ones that are on IWTV um, that are not really huge feds but they stream on IWTV that they might not draw well but they do huge numbers on IWTV. Beyond is a good example. Beyond I don't I don't think I'm criticizing Beyond when I say like they don't draw hundreds and thousands of people. Like they they draw respectively but like for their weekly shows of wrestling open when they're doing uncharted territory like their main focus has always been on streaming, and I, th- I don't YouTube, see YouTube monetization for Beyond as well. It, they have over a million subscribers. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that was before YouTube made their change in their algorithm, but yeah, but like, and not just them. Like, I you look at the list of companies that that regularly stream on IWTV, ICW, for one, uh, Southern Underground Pro, AIW, um, they have a viable streaming operation. They make money off of streaming. And I don't think that will change because the wrestling fans that subscribe to IWTV, that's already a niche product. And those are not the vast majority of IWTV subscribers are the niche fans, the super fans that will not, for the most part, will not cancel the subscription. Um, it's sort of like the opposite of would be like with Netflix, where Netflix raises their price and there's a th- hundreds of thousands, not millions of people that decide 
we can't afford Netflix. We got to cancel. Those are casual viewers of Netflix. I don't see that with IWTV. I think the people that subscribe to IWTV are the super fans that either they're the mentality that they can't live without it. So I, I, I feel like that's recession proof. Yeah. I would agree on that. Um, so anything else to touch on this before we continue more in the notes here? No, uh, do pretty much hit it there and, uh, the woes of ring of honor there. And like I said, the, the big changes of ring of honor where they're like, where they decide it's not financially worth it to continue to fly in talent. Um, talent from the West Coast and also Japanese talent. Um, and then we'll see as we go through the notes if that was a smart move by them or not. But yeah, I think we painted a pretty good picture of wrestling in late 2008. All right. So uh, November 4th, 2008, this is in the figure four weekly. I asked Gabe Sapolsky last week if he had any comments on what went down, and he responded, I loved my time at Ring of Honor, and it was a dream come true. I have no hard feelings towards the company nor anyone in the company. I can even understand Kerry's decision. I hope everyone will give the direction a new chance. Sapolsky has also stated that he will no longer be booking Full Impact Pro in Florida. Uh, moving on to the November 18, 2008 Figure Four Weekly, Gabe Sapolsky in his blog spoke of his departure for Ring of Honor for the first time. I've had a little over three weeks to reflect, think about things, and get out of the Ring of Honor bubble. It's funny how you don't realize you are in the bubble until you're out of it. Uh, it's actually amazing the conclusions you come to and the things that become clear about yourself and businesses uh, once you are removed from the situation. I've come to a lot of realizations in the last few weeks. First off, I won't admit that I agree with the decision to dismiss me. Dismiss me. Now that I've thought about things, I certainly can't disagree with it. Uh, there are several reasons for this relating to me and my behavior, but that is another time if I ever decide to even publicly talk about it. He also spoke of Kerry Silken. Kerry put a lot of faith in me and faith and trust in me more than I ever could hope or ask for. He deserves much more than a huge thank you for me, but it's also but it's all I can offer at this time. Carrie is the man. I still have nothing but love for ring of honor and everyone there. It's full of hard working, professional, intelligent people and the pro wrestling business needs what ring of honor offers. Most importantly, it's full of good people that includes an entire office and a locker room. I am looking forward to seeing how the company grows and what direction it takes. Now it's a fun time for ring of honor with everything so fresh and exciting. So not doesn't look like a bad breakup at this point. Uh, December 22nd, 2008, Ring of Honor, uh, expect in 2009, considerably less usage of Japanese talent because of the cost. The deals for Takeshi Morishima, uh, Nomochi Marafuji, Kensuke Sasaki, and Katashiko Nakajima were all largely set up by Gabe Sapolsky before he was let go. It's not that they won't be used at all, but it will be fewer and less frequent. And from December 29, 2008, Ring of Honor is still predicting its biggest crowd in company history for the December 27th show in Hammerstein. Even so, expect to be the last show with so many Japanese stars brought in once. All the deals were in place to set up by Sapolsky for Suzaki, Nakajima, Mirafuji, and Morishima. Um, yep, so as we end 2008 here, uh, bring in a lot of these stars of Noah and Dragon Gate uh, are coming to not a complete end, but definitely... Uh, decreasing for Ring of Honor, as we see there. And you got to remember, it's flights. 
flights are a big cost. You're putting these guys up. Um, if you want them to work multiple weekends, you're putting them up in hotels for a few weeks. And that can't be cheap. No, uh, not at all. And like we've, as we've discussed, as we were looking up flights and even though, uh, like a single flight can be cheap, only a few hundred dollars. You have to understand if they're bringing in six to 12 workers from Japan, like that adds up. And like you said, like hotels too, like hotels can add up. And not just flying talent for Japan. If you have them in for several shows, you're also in charge of transporting them all throughout that all throughout that tour. And flights so, yeah, from Tokyo are in the four figures. Right now? Yes. And I did Tokyo to New York City, I mean, and to JFK, so... I mean, it might be cheaper to Newark or Philadelphia. Um, let me let me see what it would be from Los Angeles. So Los Angeles to Tokyo. Again, fl- it this is open ended question. Is flights flights thirteen years ago are completely different than what they are now? Yeah. Plus, plus it, it it's. It's also different when you consider the time frame because, like, if you're, I would say it was probably out. four figures. Uh, in 2008, I spent nine hundred dollars for a round trip flight to Italy from Buffalo. So it was like Buffalo. It was Buffalo, Chicago, Chicago to uh, Berlin, not Berlin. Um, Hamburg. Munich, Munich, I want to say maybe Munich, Hamburg. And then from there to Florence. Uh, yeah, and that was uh, that was about that was a little less than a thousand dollars. So I think uh, I think it was probably comparable. Yeah, LA LA to uh, Tokyo is about like a little over a thousand dollars. Okay, and we're Between talking and eleven hundred. Yeah, and we're talking current. Tokyo to like if you fly him into Hammerstein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, um, that's going to add up because that's well, that's round trip. But then you also, yeah, you if you're adding, if you're flying six to ten people over, um, you're looking at ten grand and just in flights alone. Plus, plus again hotels and there's so much more added on that. Are we going to 2009 with the Observer here? Carrie Silken did an interview with Newsday regarding the changes in the company. Regarding firing Gabe Sapolsky, he said a lot of it boiled down to simple business, and as a company, there needed to be some changes. Gabe was a very successful booker for most of its run. I think historically six years plus as a booker might be a record. As you know, things just weren't working and it's the right time to make a change. It's pretty much as simple as that. He did a tremendous amount of good things in his time, but it, it sort of runs its course, and the change was important. Silken on his problems with the product, I think the product had become more wrestling move-oriented than wrestling-oriented. And we have such talented guys, and I think there's a lot of redundancy in the matches. You know, it's funny to think about it. We had so many good shows during his run, but it comes down to dollars and how we're drawing and how the DVDs are selling. So we needed to make this change. It was just a lot of excess, too many guys too many matches you've experienced it yourself you're burned out sometimes by intermission and there's a way uh whether there's a concert any kind of performance to be arranged so you don't get that kind of feeling and i know in my experience with these shows that we've been doing there's much more 
palatable for the fans, and I think they're better. The big question, which next year will answer in regards to DVD sales, Gabe Sapolsky felt the simple primary revenue stream was DVD sales that had to do the style of matches and shows that that would get people to buy matches weeks after they've taken place as opposed to just getting the live crowds to pop. Silken said financially the company is safe. They've purchased four new expensive cameras to upgrade production. So I'm sure you enjoy that line. <laughs> Those are probably the same cameras that Cornette would complain about years later that he couldn't get uh, Sinclair to upgrade. Probably. Um, uh, March 30th, 2009, the Dragon Gate promotion ran its biggest show in history on March 22nd, Sumo Hall in Tokyo, drawing a nearly full house of 9,500 fans with some seats blocked off by stage and a few tickets left unsold. That number was impressive, and it's considerably more than New Japan and All Japan have done in the same building all year. There's a lot to be said for that. Um, yeah, New- Dragon Gate is hot right now. Yeah, I mean... There was a point where New Japan and All Japan were not one and two. And not and All Japan, honestly, they haven't been two in years. Um and nothing against All Japan. There's still a lot of great stuff in the All Japan product. But I at this point now it's debatable and we kinda of talked about it earlier, is it Dragon Gate is it Noah, but they're probably one and two in, in two thousand nine, early two thousand nine. Yeah. Um with New Japan a- being third, I'd say. Yeah, this was definitely a down period. And, and Hustle's the, doing okay at this point. Yeah, it's the the rise of the Japanese indies. Yeah, DDT's the round they're kicking, and they'll even get more popular as time goes on. Um, April 6, 2009, the promotion has announced its debut on October 31st in the UK, as well as a meet and greet. The venue has been announced. So now we have Dragon Gate. They're doing great numbers in Japan. Uh, you know, they did... Just about a year ago, they they were in the states for U.S. and in the U.S. for Hawaii and Los Angeles. Now they're in the U.K. Obviously, expansion is in their minds. Um, April fourteenth, two thousand nine. This is from the Figure Four Weekly. Lots of drama in Ring of Honor. Shima posted on his blog that Dragon Gate would no longer be doing business with the company because we haven't gotten payment from the past Ring of Honor show held in Japan in September two thousand eight. Some of the Ring of Honor wrestlers' airfare and guarantees were supposed to be shared between the two companies, but the promise had not been kept. I recently hear from some of my dear friends not being paid by Ring of Honor as well. Any business is based on a trust, and we no longer wish to do any business with Ring of Honor again. They claimed that there was a lawyer working on their case right now. Ring of Honor issued a statement to PWInsider.com that the day uh, claiming everyone was paid and that Dragon Gate knew full well that the reason the two sides were not working together was due to promises on the Dragon Gate side not being fulfilled. They also issued a statement that Larry Sweeney posted on MySpace claiming they owed him money as well, saying his contract stipulated payment per appearance, and he was all caught up. I thought I think the crux of the issue is that Sweeney believes he should be paid for dates he attended but was not allowed to perform, and they dispute that. I do believe that he has... Given given some cash in Houston, and it was believed to uh, Aspie left the build. I'm sorry, was asked to leave the building. Sweeney, who was supposed to fly home from Houston Tuesday, ended up deciding he didn't want to leave the city yet and stayed until the weekend. Last I heard, he wrestled in Louisiana on Sunday and was telling people he was talking with people at Ring of Honor that felt things were going to be all right with the relationship. 
The Ring of Honor statement seemed to indicate otherwise, at least for the time being. There was also talk about last week's second set of Ring of Honor tapings, where they brought in Ric Flair and still only drew a several hundred people. And worse, during the tapings, we got reports that fans were leaving in droves. The tapings themselves will be better in terms of production and better lighting, which hopefully comes across in TV as the last tapings. They drew in the same number of people that TNA draws for Impact, and it looked like a fraction of that. This is not inside knowledge or anything, but there were people talking in the last few weeks, and their belief is that if things were bad enough, that this could be the last set, last set of tapings. It's a really tough time because I don't think HGNet resulted in any noticeable increase in business, but at the same time with only 12 million homes getting the station and only four shows airing so far, it seems way early to make a determination about whether this was a success or a failure. So yeah, that's one thing to note. They're now on HGNet with no Sapolsky. Sapolsky did not carry them into the television era. Um, you know, Larry Sweeney, uh, a lot could be said about Larry Sweeney. Uh, gone way too soon, way too soon. Uh, probably would have been a producer at this point, or maybe a commentator. I truly believe if Larry Sweeney was still around, he would be heavily involved with the pro wrestling events. He'd be very influential. He, yeah, he would still be involved somehow. Yeah, backstage or or commentator. Um, and you know, Shima bring it. She, I didn't realize how much Shima just put out there on social media, but yeah. Uh, so the seeds are kind of set here, right? Dragon Gate is upset at Ring of Honor because their talent they had to pay for Ring of Honor talent when they were told it was going to be a 50 50 split. Sapolsky's gone. The stage is set, folks, and here we have it. And this is what this is what we've uh, this is what we came here for, uh, as, I, as I like to say. April twentieth, two thousand nine, from the Observer. Dragon Gate Promotions announced on April fifteenth in Japan that they are setting up a U.S. office and will be running six or more shows per year using former Ring of Honor booker Gabe Sapolsky as the booker. The concept is to bring in eight wrestlers from Japan for each show, concentrate on three or four markets, and fill the show with U.S. independent wrestlers. Satoshi Oji, out of Houston, who has worked as their translator, will be the president of the organization, and Tori Kido will be a CFO. The first show on July 25th at the Alhambra Arena in Philadelphia, with Dragon Kid, Shima, Masada Yoshino, and Nuruki Doi as the four of the eight wrestlers appearing. They are looking at doing six to seven match shows, with the Japanese as the headliners. The second event will be over Labor Day weekend in Chicago. Oh, isn't that interesting? The goal is to draw 400 to 600 fans per event based on the idea that Dragon Gate itself has become well-known in the U.S. to draw at a level of a niche audience. There will be some similar talent brought in on the shows as they can do programs, but they will vary which of the top 16 so Dragon Gate uh, or top 16 or so Dragon Gate are brought in for each show. The concept is similar to Ring of Honor at the beginning, that they will look at DVD sales as a primary revenue stream. The annual show... So with the Dragon Gate wrestlers were always among the best-selling DVDs each year for Ring of Honor. The news just came days after the Internet War Awards between Shima and Dragon Gate, uh, Shima of Dragon Gate and Ring of Honor took place. Um, Shima wrote this on his MySpace on April 13th. 
I've been receiving inquiries like, why aren't Dragon Gate wrestlers on the Ring of Honor WrestleMania weekend shows? Or what is the relationship between Dragon Gate and Ring of Honor? Well, I can tell you in detail because our lawyer... I can't tell you in detail because our lawyer is working on the case in the States. But I can tell you that Dragon Gate is no longer ha- has any relationship with Ring of Honor. One of the reasons is because we haven't gotten payment from the past Ring of Honor show held in Japan in September 2008. Some of the Ring of Honor wrestlers... Uh, airfare and their guarantees were supposed to be shared between the two companies, but the promise had never been kept. I recently hear from some of my dear friends not being paid by Ring of Honor as well. Any business is based on trust, and we no longer wish to do business with Ring of Honor again. Dragon Gate wrestlers, however, love all Ring of Honor wrestlers as well as its fans, so we are very sad this situation is happening. Please keep in mind that we are still planning to do our shows in the States, and we have a very good relationship with PWG in Los Angeles. Even though Dragon Gate has announced the above statement to the media, I can't ignore my American fans. I just wanted to let you know what's going on. I will keep you updated on any future plan. Please support Dragon Gate Wrestling and come cheer for us when we wrestle in the States. After that was written, Ring of Honor sent this response. Uh, Shima from Dragon Gate Promotion in Japan made claims that Ring of Honor owes Dragon Gate money. For our September 2008 show, stating some of the Ring of Honor wrestlers' airfare and their guarantees were supposed to be shared between the two companies, but the promise had never been kept. That statement is false. All Ring of Honor talent was paid in full for these events along with their airfare. Shima and the Dragon Gate promotion are very well aware of what agreements they did not live up to in regards to the Ring of Honor Dragon Gate show and why we choose to no longer do business with them. The issue appears to be regarding that September 13th show at the Defir Ariaki in Tokyo, which Dragon Gate promoted the market and drew 600 fans. The next night, a second Ring of Honor show in the same arena drew 1,000 fans, but it was locally promoted by Pro Wrestling Noah. There was some infighting between Noah in regards to working with Dragon Gate and insinuating Dragon Gate didn't work hard to promote the show, given regular Dragon Gate shows in Tokyo usually draw substantially more. This led to a disagreement over finances, which was owed with Kerry Silken and Ring of Honor in the Dragon Gate promotion. There was a shouting match between Silken and Booker Sapolsky at the end of the show when all things were being settled because the disagreement led to the end of Dragon Gate doing business for Ring of Honor. Sapolsky apparently felt like it was it, that it was worth settling things amicably to keep the relationship, but Silken felt they didn't do their part and decided otherwise, even though it really didn't come out until recently that Dragon Gate would never work a Ring of Honor again. The relationship dissolved at that point in time. Silken fired Sapolsky on October 25th in New Jersey, and although it's largely because Silken wanted to take the company in another direction, feeling the product wasn't drawing a mainstream audience, the argument was whether any significant audience that type could be drawn without television, which the company didn't have at the time. So, here we have it. We have the formation. Shima's upset. Very public. Ring of Honor responding. Uh, This is... Some you don't see too often uh, in independent wrestling. Um, what dirty laundry getting aired on social media? Well, the, a response statement oh, like that. I mean, a response you see from a company. Yeah, you see it. Um, this was very reminiscent of the stuff we just saw the last few uh, months to a year <laughs> between a company and a streaming service. No comment. Yeah, um, but. But yeah, uh, I mean, clearly Shima understands by a statement the importance of the United States market brings up Pro Wrestling Grill, which I found interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Noah, 
we talked about how great it was that they were working with two Japanese promotions, but clearly it was going to cause an issue. And I mean, and it, and it did here. Um, I, we don't know what days these shows were on as far as, I mean, we could look in a calendar, but it might be because it was a better night for the Noah show. There might've been more stuff going on the Dragon Gate, or I mean, at the end of the day, Dragon Gate fans, are they going to appreciate the Ring of Honor style more, or is Noah fans going to? And it's Noah fans. It just is. I mean, would you disagree with that? No. No. Uh, especially when you see the numbers of like how we're talking about how, how good Dragon Gate's doing, how good Noah's doing over there. Definitely doing better in, their, in the Japanese market than Ring of Honor is doing in the American market. Yeah, and and you know what? I don't blame Dragon Gate for creating this relationship. I mean, I don't blame them for going for Gabe Sapolsky. Uh, I mean, if you're looking for the best booker who was a free agent at that time, he's probably the best. Uh, yeah, you know, and he. I mean, you're not bringing in Dusty Rhodes. No, know? and he definitely he still had the connections with Dragon Gate, like being being the booker during this the co-branded shows in the co-branded era. They so, trust him. Shima trust him. Yeah. And that was the the September thirteenth, September fourteenth shows are a Saturday and a Sunday. So they're weekend weekend shows. Um but yeah, it reading this, I don't wanna say there's bitterness because I I don't know the participants. I didn't know the participants at that time, what they're going through their mind here, but a lot of this just seems like Ring of Honor decides to end the relationship. They end the relationship with Dragon Gate. They get rid of the Booker, and then Dragon Gate decides that they're going to run a competing company and basically steal the Booker that Ring of Honor just fired. It's there's a lot of. Uh, I don't even want to say it's, it's bitterness. It's, sal- it's 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 salty. <laughs> it's a little salty. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the best way. Yeah. Um, it's vindictive. Yeah, vindictive is probably the better better term there. I mean, it is kind of a, okay. We're mad at you, Ring of Honor, and not only are we going to start promoting the states, and when we get into this, they promote a lot of Ring of Honor markets. Uh, yeah, and it's it's well, but the 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 what if is would would they have done this if Gabe didn't get fired or if they didn't have a falling out with Ring of Honor? I think they focus in California. Yeah, because they're already doing California, so... I think think they do West Coast more. I think they maybe do... They do even more of a partnership with Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Maybe they run Vegas. Um, You know, maybe they partner with a Lucha promotion um, to run the Southwest, but I think they focus on the West Coast if Sapolsky isn't available, and they're not mad. Yeah. Maybe mirror what New Japan attempted to do years later, what New Japan's currently doing, yes. where you, you have your New Japan's home base. strong. I mean, you're getting Eastern Coast shows on the strong, but they traditionally do well like L.A. and looks like Dallas. Yeah, but they're mostly focused in, in the West Coast, and they still – their talent could still appear elsewhere, so they're not an exclusive deal on that. Um, and they've got partnerships with other companies, but they're mostly – like they have their own thing that they do on the side as well. Um, April 28, 2009, Gabe Sapolsky officially announced the debut of Dragon Gate USA on July 25th, the former ECW Arena in Philadelphia. It's a new promotion that he'll be the public official and will tape in a small handful of shows per year 
and try to make money off ticket and DVD sales. The main events will feature six to eight Dragon Gate wrestlers, and the undercards will feature U.S. talent. They've signed a deal with Chikara to work together on the first show, so several of those wrestlers will be in the undercard. Tickets range from $75 ringside to $20. For those who are online subscribers, we did an interview with Gabe Sapolsky last week and said that you could download that for free, or which you can also download for free at their official website, dgusa.tv. Sapolsky is officially vice president, and Satoshi Oji is president. Oji has worked with the company for a long time, and will be opening a U.S. office in Houston. Um, the Houston thing's interesting, just because I don't even know if they run Houston. Uh-huh. They've got that, that Dusty Rhodes and Jim Crockett mentality. Yeah, of got to go to Texas. Yeah, you got to be based in Texas. Um, the Chikara partnership, you know, you're going to promote in Philadelphia. You all, you almost need a Philadelphia company to help you. CZW is probably not what they're looking for. Obviously yeah. them in ring of honor are talking. So Chikara and some of those wrestlers from Chikara could, could, uh, work that dragon gate style. Yeah. Was, Chikara for, yeah. Chikara had, had a history of bringing in Japanese talent as well. So they've already, yeah, a lot of their talent are already versed in that style. Uh, May 4th, 2009 here for uh, the July 25th show in Philadelphia will include an eight-man tag with wrestlers from Chikara. Chikara announced on his April 26th show in Philadelphia that it will be part of the Dragon Gate USA promotion and noted that both Shima and Mike Quackenbush were both trained by Jorge Sky Rivera. Uh, Quackenbush and not Gabe Sapolsky will be choosing the men and booking the match as Sapolsky feels he needs... To know what guys, uh, I'm sorry, as Sapolsky feels, he knows what his guys can do better than anyone. Two Gold Scorpio and Nick and Matt Jackson, who work Dragon Gate Japanese tours, are also on the show. So you got the Bucks coming to the East Coast, and you got Scorpio, which, gotta love Scorpio. On a side note, Two Gold Scorpio, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, finally, 10 years of ring announcing. I'm gonna get the ring announcement in three weeks, three to four weeks. So finally, I've been asking promoters for years. But yeah, I mean, you got Scorpio, who's in a pretty big name in those parts, and you're break, you're exposing the Bucks to the East Coast, which I think for the DVD collecting scene for the East Coast fans, they're probably that's probably going to generate some interest. I mean, imagine somebody living in Philadelphia who buys PWG DVDs, and wow, the Bucks are coming to Philly. Yeah, um, the Bucks did have a did have a cup of coffee in Shikara. Um so they they did get out there to the, the east coast, but yeah, during but at least especially during this time, they're still rather young in the business, um, and weren't the world travelers that they would eventually become. And folks, like I said, I mean, this story I think needed to be told on many uh, different uh, elements here. Uh, it's a good part of the Gabe Sapolsky story, and uh, I think it just shows Japanese wrestling integrated in not only independence with the American wrestling scene, but you look at the box, the rise of the box, and, and we mentioned how the plan was to re- run shows Labor Day weekend in Chicago. <laughs> I mean, what runs every Labor Day weekend in Chicago now? All out. It started with all in. Um, so, yeah, but, uh, moving on here, May 5th, 2009, there were questions as to whether the tickets for the Davy Dragon Gate USA show in Philadelphia on July 25th were too expensive, uh, which was 75 hours of the first row. The first answer is a, 
Empathetic no, uh, empathetic no, I'm sorry. They sold out row one in two minutes, and the first three rows, which are the most expensive, were gone within 11 hours. On behalf of everyone, Dragon Gate USA would like to thank the fans. Uh, Dragon Gate USA Vice President Gabe Sapolsky said, This is really a special day. I'm so glad that we can all be part of Dragon Gate USA from the start and get this company off the ground together. Thank you so much, as this is just the beginning. Dragon Gate USA announced a working agreement with Chikara, starting on the first show in the former ECW arena on July 25th. They'll be presenting one match as booked by Mike Quackenbush. Says Gabe Sobolski feels he knows his talent better than anyone and will book the best possible match. Um, May 11, 2009, the July 25th show in Philadelphia is off to a fast start. Uh, this is still from the Observer, folks. Uh, selling out the first row in two minutes and selling most of the second and third row and some GA. I'm not sure that's necessarily indicative of anything, even though Gabe Sapolsky said it was much better than he expected. But this is a a show to certain people who are internet savvy and that are going to want the best tickets right right away. Uh, Shingo Takagi and Susumi Yokosuka have been added to the show, joining an already announced Shima, Dragon Gate, Masato Yoshino, and Nuruki Doi. Uh, There will probably be two more Dragon Gate wrestlers announced over the next week or two. How much will this appeal to how much appeal this show will have past those who order tickets immediately is still the big question mark, which also regards the long-term viability of the idea. And we'll move on to May 18th, 2019 observer. Gabe Sapolsky did an interview with David Ditch at uh, InsightPulse.com talking about his relations with the different offices in Japan. He felt that the new Japan relationship went south when new Japan tried to do try to get Samoa Joe to do a quick title loss to uh, to- Togi Makabe in 2004, and Joe turned him down, and he felt New Japan wouldn't use Joe after that. Combined with New Japan and Ring of Honor doing an American qualifier for the Super J Cup that originally uh, James Gibson, J.B. Noble, or Brian Danielson was going to win, but New Japan changed it to Kendo Kashin, and the tournament ended up being as a flop, and the company's parted ways. He noted everything went from great with Kenta Kobashi, but after Kobashi returned from cancer, he didn't want to wrestle in the U.S. unless he could perform up to the level he did with Joe. He said that he had to overcome some resentment when he put the Ring of Honor title on Takeshi Morishima, but he stayed the course and felt it was positive, elevating Brenton Albright and Claudio Casagnoli when they came close. Um, Yeah, Ring of Honor did have a relationship with New Japan, and of course they would have it again, and we talked about the Madison Square Garden show in 2019. Uh, earlier on the episode, but yeah, I mean, you see that Dragon Gate, I mean, Gabe didn't say anything bad about Noah here at all, but it seemed like Dragon Gate was, was Gabe's best partner in his eyes, at least. I mean, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but that's what it seems. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that as well. Uh, May 25th, 2009, the second U.S. show was announced and, September 6th in Chicago at the Congress Theater, where they have regular Lucha Libre events. Uh, the show will go on sale May 27th, so there's that Labor Day weekend show. Uh, June 2nd, 2009, first row for September 6th Dragon Gate show sold out on day one, and rows two and three were mostly gone last I checked. The July 25th show in Philadelphia had the first for four rows of ringside sold out as well as the vip balcony with two months until showtime and no matches announced they were very happy with that tickets for the show on september 6th will go on sale and may 27th with shima dragon kid uh, shingo takagi and genki horaguchi on that show uh now we go to june 17 2009 and uh got a lot of ring of honor stuff here as it leads into pay-per-views 
So, Ring of Honor is airing its final pay-per-view show on June 12th. And followed by Dragon Gate USA announcing its own pay-per-view at G-Funk Entertainment, makes it appear G-Funk dropped Ring of Honor for Dragon Gate USA. It's actually the timing... Actually, the timing was more of a coincidence. Dragon Gate USA will be doing more bi-monthly pay-per-view, pay-per-views priced at $19.95 on a tape delay with a deal largely identical to the old Ring of Honor deal. The company's debut show on July 25th in Philadelphia will debut on September 4th and will be used to push the second show on September 6th in Chicago. That will air in November. Uh, Dragon Gate USA's plans to do six shows per year as part of the original marketing plan included pay-per-view airings every other month. At first, the idea was that G-Funk would do the Dragon Gate pay-per-view shows in the month that Ring of Honor didn't. However, Ring of Honor made the decision to pull out of the pay-per-view market, at least for the present, after buy numbers have plummeted down to almost nothing for the recent shows. The pay-per-view deal means Dragon Gate USA is relying on pay-per-views to take precedent over DVD sales as a priority because their contracts with the pay-per-view providers are that DVDs of the show cannot be released until one month after the pay-per-view debut date. Dragon Gate USA has an in-demand and several minor carriers cleared for the first show. There are still negotiations with the Dish Network, while DirecTV turned on the deal because DirecTV doesn't want to deal with smaller wrestling pay-per-views right now after agreeing to do the Ring of Honor shows, which were supposed to be a long-term deal, and then having Ring of Honor cancel, plus the weak numbers of the past few events. Ring of Honor pulled out of doing pay-per-views for numerous reasons. The company had a deal with Ken Gelman and G-Funk where they would split all pay-per-view revenues 50%. The hope was promoting the pay-per-view shows off HGNet and that the numbers would increase, but instead they dropped significantly. One of the major reasons uh, they exposed for doing taped pay-per-views when the mentality of people buying pay-per-view is that it has to be a live hot event was the idea that gave some type of television exposure to make new fans. But that didn't work as all at all. As there was no increases in DVD sales or attendance figures after getting pay-per-view, really there have been no increases since the HDNet TV deal came in about either the pulling out now at least a part partially a timing issue they've talked with hgnet regarding improving the pay-per-view situation the only way to make a significant difference is to go live but the cost of doing so in charging 29.95 per show instead of 9.95 or 14.95 the tape shows we're getting would mean they probably quadruple the average number of buys they were doing on tape shows to make it worth it the Ring of Honor contract with G-Funk had a six-month non-compete clause, so pulling out now gets the clock moving for on six months, which would end in mid-December. There's no deal in place, nor a guarantee of such deal happening in December, but pulling out of the deal at this time would be a combination of the recent shows not bringing in significant money and getting through the time frame to try and improve the pay-per-view situation. Uh, Ring of Honor have been steadily doing five to 10,000 buys on its bi-monthly shows until right around the last show of 2008. And since then, numbers have dwindled down significantly. At least one show topped 10,000 buys. But when you think about it, it's tremendous when you look at the comparisons. WWE, with all its television going live, was down to 118,000 domestic for Backlash. The last event reported, TNA with bigger stars. Uh, two hours of national primetime going live had recent shows with unattractive main events fall under 20,000. Although most shows do beat that figure. But even then, even though Ring of Honor has never done a bad pay-per-view show, they have been unable to maintain the audience, even if they say they liked the last show. The only lure was, uh, apparently, it was the hype going in, that you would see a match of the year, uh, because they had no TV or developed storylines and didn't have stars. Without that level of match on the shows, plus if you wanted great matches, WWE's pay-per-views have late have produced generally great main events with bigger stars. Ring of Honor didn't have its niche. Uh, Dragon Gate, you... 
is going to be putting on these type of events uh, on every show. The problem is all, all the top stars are Japanese, and they are not even over to even the hardcores as distinguishable stars and much as a group of interchangeable guys who fly around and deliver great matches. Gabe Sapolsky did recognize that they their limitations as to the audience, and they're going to uh, be able to reach with Japanese product and no television, but the idea is just to satisfy the audience. They recognize being on pay-per-view isn't going to make them new fans, but expenses of doing tape shows are that you're going to produce a DVD that are not high, and they could be profitable 5,000 buys. Uh, Noriki Doi and Masato Yoshino will be on the September 6th show in Chicago. Drangi USA is also working with AAW in Berlin, Illinois, and hybrid wrestling for wrestlers who were will work pre-show matches. So they got some more partners too. AEW, which is still around. Um, Danny Daniels, uh, uh, promotion in, uh, in Chicago. But so real quick, G funk. So ring of honor goes to go fight live. And that's even more of a disaster. If I remember, uh, yes, <laughs> than because, because that was like, obviously like explaining here, they um they didn't want to go live because of the cost of going live. So everything everything when they're on traditional pay per view was taped. Um I can attest a lot of big companies are under the belief that to go live you need a TV truck, you need a satellite truck, you need satellite time. Especially during this era. Um, no one was really doing streaming and the few that were attempting it couldn't pull it off as obviously go fight live uh we've seen with them but um i think it's very telling here that just the the coincidence that ring of honor is deciding at this point that uh all the 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 business model that sapolsky put out there they're changing everything. They're changing the wrestling style, and now they're changing their business model of how they're running pay-per-views. And Gabe gets right in there and gets this gets a deal very similar with G Funk, and uh, is basically trying to build up the same idea and the same business model with Dragon Gate that he had with Throne of Honor. And it's funny that we talked about how things have changed. Like now it's very relying on streaming and, and, you know, live event sales aren't even really the go-to anymore. It's streaming a merch. Um, this started to be the pay-per-view era where, and, and you would see too, I mean, CZW had pay-per-views. Like it was like best of matches or whatever. Um, you saw like most extreme matches, backyard wrestling, like, if you went on the direct TV, like tab and put in wrestling, there was a ton of stuff uh, that you could buy. So there was a lot of, I mean, these companies, I mean, like he said, 5,000 pay-per-view buys is probably better than how many DVDs are going to sell. Yeah. And for a lot of these companies, that's just found money because they're not, they're not relying a hundred percent on the profit from pay-per-view from a, from a taped best of pay-per-view show. All right. Uh, we will uh, move on here. You got anything else to touch on this part here? I know it was a big part, but we kind of talked about just the pay-per-view change. Um, no, um, I just, uh, 
wanted to bring up a little bit more on Go Fight Live because it's been so long and I needed my uh, I need a refresher. But their website doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, their Twitter still exists, but they haven't tweeted since March 2017. And at that point, it was all MMA. Um, Go Fight Live did. Go Fight Live was very popular within uh, combat sports, within mixed martial arts and boxing. So, like, without looking up their numbers and looking up what they put out there, like, they definitely had to be successful. They definitely had to be making money at least off of the off of MMA. But like, yeah. we look at we look at that like. Uh, what Go Fight Live was, Fight TV basically is now. I think Fight TV is a successful version of Go Fight Live. And and I think I think you had the the bridge probably was probably which Gabe was involved with was Flow Wrestling, and that's a story for another day. Yeah, that's a story we probably. I, I mean, uh, I can't I, touch that. Oh, Flow! You can't. Is Flow Wrestling? I mean, flow slam. I mean, flow slam. I mean, it's still, flow sports is still around, which is interesting. But the, obviously, they don't do anything with pro wrestling anymore. Yeah, um, they gave a lot of money into an investment in pro wrestling, and then there were obviously it was the lawsuit, and um, they got out of it very quickly. Uh, June 23rd, 2009, Observer, Dreamgate USA announced they'll be running November 28th at the ECW Arena. Uh, they've signed a deal with G-Funk to run pay-per-views every 60 days because the timing sounded like a deal where they would, uh, where they'd scooped Ring of Honor or they'd snatch up the deal as soon as Ring of Honor canceled. The reality is they had been in the works for a while and was going to happen whether Ring of Honor canceled or not. Basically, Ring of Honor was running shows every other month, and the months they weren't running were going to feature Dragon Gate pay-per-views. It was a timing coincidence that everything happened in the same week. Dragon Gate also announced deals with Brian Nielsen and Davey Richards. Neither are under contract to Ring of Honor, so they're feel free to work other dates. So here you go. Going for your pay-per-view. Going for your talent. Uh, officially, Ring of Honor isn't saying anything negative about it, and both guys are still working all planned dates with the company. Unofficially, a suspect manager isn't thrilled. But when you guys are trying, uh, when guys are trying to make a living off indie dates, you can't expect them to tie them down to a very limited schedule that isn't paying huge money. And that's the thing. I, I understand loyalty, but guys have to make a living. And if you're not giving them enough to make their salary, and they are going to go work for another company, you don't like that company. I mean, there's really not much you could do or should do. Um, we'll move to June 30, 2009. Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross will be signing autographs before the September 6th Dragon Gate USA show in Chicago at the Congress Theater. You must buy a ticket to the show and part- uh, to participate in the autograph signing. Dragon Gate USA is noting that both are uh, to be inducted in WWE Hall of Fame Chicago in 2006, uh, or were in 2006, so it's a special city for them. Don Marie will also be there signing autographs. So this is interesting. They're using names to get people to come in the Chicago show, like WWF names. Yeah, it's it's very, I'd say very surprising um, that those are the two that they use. But I guess they were smart fans. Uh, They're very popular with smart fans, Lawler and Ross, and they also had the the deal that they could make appearances. Uh, July 1st, 2009, uh, Brian Danielson, Davey Richards have been added to the September 6th show in Chicago. Danielson and Richards are both working in Ring of Honor, but without a contract. Ring of Honor talent under, is, 
uh, Ring of Honor talent that is under contract wouldn't be available for these shows because they're on pay-per-view. Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler will be doing autograph signing at that show. The third show will be on November 28th at the Philadelphia at the Arena. Update on the show on July 25th at Philadelphia. Lineup is Open the Dreamgate champion, Naruki Doi versus Shingo Takagi in a non-title match. Dragon Gate, I'm sorry, Dragon Kid versus Masato Yoshino. BXB Hulk versus Yamato Shima and Susumi Yokosuka versus Nick and Matt Jackson. Fire Ant and Soldier Ant and Jigsaw and To Be Announced versus Amasis and Gran Akuma and Icarus and To Be Announced. Uh, Two Gold Scorpio versus Ken Doan, Kenny Dystra, and preliminary matches that will include Flip Kendrick and Johnny Gargano. Uh, Dom Marie will be the live event hostess. They'll be running a show on November 1st in Oxford, England at the Regal. So Dragon Gate, they're, they're running England again. And then interesting integration of Dom Marie as the hostess of the show. Uh July 20th, uh, 2009, Davey Richards, uh, from the Observed, Davey Richards on a contract to Ring of Honor. I speculate he must have not been uh, because he's working the September 6th Dragon Gate show from Chicago, which is being taped for pay-per-view. Ring of Honor contracts aren't exclusive. Uh, which is which is weird that yes. Ring of Honor wouldn't have, wouldn't have a clause there that you couldn't work pay-per-view. And especially couldn't work a new contract, couldn't work Dragon Gate because they're, they're, they're mad at Dragon Gate at this point. Yeah. Um... Complete uh, July 25th lineup, um, which uh, for the show will be drink uh, for drink at USA will be Doi versus Takagi, uh, Kid versus Yoshino, BXB Hulk versus uh, Yamato, Shima and Yokosuka versus the Bucks, Quackenbush and Jigsaw and Fire and Soldier Ant versus Hollow Wicked, Amasis, Gran Akuma, and Icarus, and an opener of Two Gold Scorpio versus Ken Doan. And here we are. Uh, we are. We'll go from the observer note here, and this is the debut show for Dragon Gate USA. Dragon Gate USA had their debut on July 25th at the Arena of Philadelphia for a pay-per-view taping. The main show only had six matches, all of which went 15 to 20 minutes, and several were said to be outstanding. Dom Marie was there as the host of the evening. Yamato beat BXB Hulk in what was said to be a great opener in the three-star range. Two Gold Scorpio beat Ken Dome, formerly of the Spirit Squad, who got lots of We Want Ziggler chants. He was amused. Match was okay, but seemed out of place on the show. Uh, Team Chikara won an eight-man showcase uh, that was one high spot after another. Place went nuts from Mike Quackenbush in particular. Jigsaw got the pin. Dragon Gate beat Masato Yoshino in a match that was said to be very good, but not great. Shima and Susumi Yokosuka faced and put over the Young Bucks of Nick and Matt Jackson in a surprise. They did a long intermission about 45 minutes long and announced that they'd be back in the same building on November 28th with the tournament to crown the first Dragon Gate USA champion called the Open the Freedom Gate champ. Uh, main event was a match for the Open the Dream Gate title with Naruki Doi beating Shingo in an excellent main event. Uh, show was said to have great production for an indie event and drew about 800 fans, which is very good for the ECW arena at that point, folks. Uh, which is, uh, and he's, they pointed, which is pretty good. They uh, sold out a a lot of the large and medium t-shirts in the first match before you even got in the ring. We did get some compliments about the golden ringside tickets from people who said the goodie bag that was included, uh, or complaints, I'm sorry, that the goodie bag that was included didn't have much of anything in the way of goodies. So, looks like the golden ringside VIP ticket's not great, but overall looks like a good experience for them. And yeah, and if you look at the ratings on Cage Match, all these matches, at least Cage Match ratings, Three and a quarter star for Yamato Hulk. Uh, four stars for the, the Chikara 
a man tag. Uh, three and three uh, four stars for Dragon Gate or Dragon Kid. I always want to say Dragon Gate. Dragon Kid and Yoshino. Um, four and a quarter stars for Bucks uh, against Shima and Yokosuka. And then uh, four and a quarter stars for Doi and Shingo. So well received. It's got a 9.21 on cage match rating. That's pretty good. Yeah. And the next the next uh, entry is just basically recapping. Adds a little bit more, but just recaps okay, yeah. each so, yeah, individual so, match um, from yeah, we'll, 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 and we'll And what we'll do is we'll end the episode on this here. Uh, and this is uh, kind of a, a recap here. Uh, from from Mel to some more details. On August 3rd, 2009, it was pretty well expected the first Dragon Gate USA show would be a success in a ring, but as a viable venture, the jury was out. Um, the Even after the first show on July 25th at the arena in Philadelphia got rave reviews, the same questions are still there. Can the group draw the necessary amount of people to make it viable, largely due to the cost of flying in so many wrestlers from Japan for just one date? The debut show did a lot better than expected, with 785 paid and just over 800 in the arena, making it pretty close to full. A lot of the crowd was Chikara regulars, as well as the Ring of Honor fans who are negative regarding the current direction of the product. The second show was on September 6th in Chicago at the Congress. Theater at this point is 200 tickets sold for a double main event of Doi vs. Danielson and Richards vs. Takagi, although those matches were just announced this week. Also announced for the show was... uh, uh, Horiguchi and Saito, uh, Ray Saito, the Open, the Twin Gate Champs, uh, Shima, Yoshino, Yamato, Dragon Kid, Quackenbush, Bucks, is, and Jigsaw. Plus, there will be an autograph signing with Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. Gabe Sokolsky, who projected 500 tickets sold for the Philadelphia show when starting the promotion, said he knew the advance was going to be at this level. He had booked the show at the Manhattan Center. However, the third show, which will feature a tournament at the Crown Company's first championship called the Open the Freedom Gate title, takes place on October 28th at the Arena in Philadelphia. This past weekend's show debuts on pay-per-view on September 4th. While it originally was designed to run on pay-per-view opposite months of Ring of Honor, it coincidentally starts as Ring of Honor pulled out of its pay-per-view deal with Frank Gelman. Ring of Honor peaked at more than 10,000 buys for its biggest shows, but the most recent shows only did a fraction of that number. Dragon Gate USA would be considered successful if it can regularly do 5,000 buys. Fans came from more than 20 states, as well as England, Japan, Canada, and France. To fit the tour a window, either four or five of the six matches on the show will air on pay-per-view. It's clear that Kendo number two gold Scorpio will be cut for sure. The other match, if there needs to be one cut, is not certain. I understand that the reception of that match, and I'll continue, but I want to touch on this. I understand a reception of that match might not have been great as the others, but to get the common wrestling fan, you, wouldn't you want that? They see, oh, it's Kenny from the Spirit Squad. Oh, and two, oh, two gold Scorpio. Uh, for pay per view, uh, I'm kind of mixed on that. I mean, you I, need I, name. I mean, they're names. I I I get where you're. I get where you're. What you're thinking there. And- your mindset there, but also if you're trying to build a product for just the hardcore fans, they might look at that as being too hokey. I guess. Um, Dom Marie worked as a ring announcer. We'll continue with those. Dom Marie worked as a ring announcer. She got lost a few times. It was probably your first time doing that role. 
Uh, the opener called The Fray ended up being a, as a gauntlet-style match, including Andy Harner, Aaron Arbo, Johnny Gargano, Lewis London, Cheech, Cloudy, Lindsay Dorado, and Chris Jones. Dorado pinned Gargano in 23 minutes and 33 seconds. A lot of innovative stuff, but it was also sloppy in spots. Um, I should probably ask Cheech and Cloudy how, how these shows were <laughs> next time I see him. And on our next episode, kind of get, maybe they give me some stories. Um... Yamato, uh, match number one uh, on the main show. Yamato uh, pinned BXB Hulk in 1519. Hulk came out with two blonde dancing girls. He did a flip on the turnbuckle in his entrance and nearly wiped out one of them. A lot of stiff kicks back and forth. Hulk used a standing corkscrew moonsault as well as a very hard missile drop kicked in a clothesline. The finish saw Hulk miss a 450 and Yamato got the pin after a choke suplex. Most reports this as a four-star match. Uh, Match number two, two gold Scorpio pin Ken Doan in 1635. Was told this to be considered a good match on most shows, but it, after the opener was hard-hitting offense, it made what was called a good WWE-style match look weak. Scorpio was 43, looked old compared to most of the talent, and here he is, 2022, still working hard, guys. Uh, he also wasn't that over. Uh, there was feeling that ECW nostalgia and that guy who could still go. They worked a slower pace, particularly with Doan starting out with a, a Zabisco stall. The crowd chanted Spirit Squad and We Want Ziggler. Doan missed a leg drop off the top rope. Scorpio won with the tumbleweed and his feet landed on Doan's face. Doan was bleeding from the mouth and from the bad landing. This wasn't the crowd that was going to be stalling, uh, going, going to be into stalling early. Scorpio did a promo to get over an old ECW nostalgia uh, and got a decent but overwhelming reaction. Um, so, so he busted someone open with a tumbleweed. Yes. More things change. Uh, and just to kind of touch on that, too, like Ken Doan's probably still in his, oh, I'm a former WWE guy. I'm just going to work a basic match type deal and not realizing that this crowd's going to want something different. That definitely changes over time. I mean, he was putting on some great matches at Beyond Wrestling. Uh, but from what this sounds like, he's doing a very fed indie name match. Yeah. And that, that happens. That happens with guys that leave WWE where it, they have a culture shock and it takes them a little while to get adapted to the indies. Some pick it up right away. Some take a while and some never do. And, uh, Mm. that match and the opener were the two matches that were cut from the pay-per-view. Yes, and, and yeah, uh, the uh, and and that that the, and that uh, that gauntlet that was on a pre-show that that would actually have been fun to watch. I mean, young Johnny Gargano there, folks. Um, match number three and eight man from uh, from Chikara saw Jigsaw and Fire Ant Soldier Ant Mike Quackenbush beat Icarus and Granakuma and Hollow Wicked and Amasis when Jigsaw pinned Icarus in seventeen twenty five. Loud chance for Quackenbush. Uh, a lot of local fans pushing the local promotion guys to come across like stars on a bigger stage than usual. Awesome high-flying from everyone looking good. Quackenbush, after the match, did a promo talking about Jorge Sky Rivera, who trained most of the Dragon Game Chikara crew. He noted that because of that, they were like family, but there is a family rivalry. Also family rivalry, who is best? I guess they're trying to plant seeds for a promotion versus promotion angle. Uh, number f- Match number four, Dragon Kid beat Masato Yoshino in 1326. These two are incredibly quick. Kid won with the Dragon Arana. Uh, he also used a moonsault to the floor, maybe in the three-star range. Very good, but there were better matches on the show. Match number five, Nick and Matt Jackson, the Young Bucks, upset Shima and Yokosuka in 17 minutes, 33 seconds. The idea of this match was to make the Young Bucks into instant stars. Lots of double-team spots. 
Shima did the coast to coast uh, dropkick. Uh, the Bucks, after the match, said they're no longer the tag team of the future, but the tag team of the present. It says to be a four star match. Uh, and, Matt, and number six, open the Dream Gate champion, Ruki Doi, pinned Sh- Shingo Takagi in 20 minutes and 48 seconds in a non title match. Shingo, who had worked for Ring of Honor in the past, was the more over the two. Uh, Doi had gotten the pin after a back suplex off the top rope and a muscular bomb, which is a double arm suplex dealt, dropped into a Mijin Noko driver. I love that move. Also said to be a four star match. All right, so there you have it, folks. The first Dragon Gate USA show. And like I said, overall, this seems like a very fun show. And I would have liked to see that pre show match. And I don't know, I think I would have probably enjoyed Scorpio and Doan. Maybe more than the common fan. But I'd be into all the Dragon Gate stuff, but also want to see Scorpio and Doan. Yeah, uh, very solid, very solid offering for the first show, I think. Even though it was only, uh, seven matches, six, including the, the pre-show. But yeah, Gabe gave everyone time to work. There was no short matches on this card. Yeah, a small card, um, which is funny because that's what Ring of Honor said they didn't like about Gabe because he had a lot of matches and a lot in a long show. And this is this was kind of the, the at least the timing of the matches that I think Ring of Honor wanted. Yeah, um, every match is, most every match is upwards of 20 minutes. They had time to work. So with that, we are going to wrap up part one. So this will be a multi-part, uh, but it's fun. So, yeah, I mean, Dragon Gate has a relationship, Ring of Honor. Uh, the September 8th show, there's some money discrepancies. Ring of Honor's not heavy about the promotion from Dragon Gate. Sapolsky leaves the company a month later. Boom. Dragon Gate USA is formed. Sapolsky is the booker. They get the pay, same. They get the pay per view deal that Ring Valor used to have, uh, and some of Ring Honor's talent are going to work on the Labor Day show. So this is a real rivalry at this point. Uh, it's a rivalry that doesn't pay. It's not a rivalry like XPW versus Ring of Honor or CZW versus Ring of Honor. It's a, it's a rivalry that really doesn't pay off. No, but that, it's like, also it's, it's a business. It's rivalry. a threat to Ring of Honor's actual niche crowd. Yeah. Because this is a company that's going to corner in on that same niche. Yeah. There's no turf war like it was with the other the other uh promotional wars, but it's definitely for the business side, it was definitely a threat to Ring of Honor's bottom line. And we want to thank everybody for listening to this. Remember, uh you can listen to us all the streaming platforms, the Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh you can listen to the website, uh the BSCP BICBP uh, Radio Network website. Want to thank Matt Johnson, the podcast precinct, once again. Um, and you can check us out RTI Pod on Twitter, RTI Pod on Instagram, Rediscovering the Indies on Facebook. Um, we just want to thank the continued support. We've gotten a ton of likes on the Facebook page over the last week. Um, so thank you uh, uh, to everybody who's listened for the first time, listened to every show. Got, just started binging us. I've gotten a lot of comments like that. Really, thank you all for listening to us. Really appreciate that. If you want to follow up more on me, um, I'm Chris Gullo on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Upcoming, uh, I have, let's see here, uh, August 6th and 7th, I'll be in Binghamton for Speedy Fest for Excite Wrestling. 
which will have Tommy Dreamer. Uh, also, John Morrison will be there signing autographs. Taya Valkyrie will be on the shows. Uh, after that, I'll be actually at Empire State Wrestling on August 13th at Riverworks for the 20th anniversary show. Jake Something versus Kevin Blackwood. Uh, Waves and Curls versus uh, Colin and, and Cheech at Two Infinity and Beyond. Um, we also uh, got on the show uh, the uh, uh, MSP versus Ando and Cloudy, the High Seas, uh, who are the ESW Tag Champs. And there's a lot of more... Um, we got Alec Prices on that show, and there's much more uh, on that show, uh, folks. So definitely uh, check me out. Uh, and yeah, I think it, I think we would have our next episode by the time I'm promoting the next group of shows I'm on. But if we're not, August 27th, I'll be doing. I'll be back in Binghamton for Excite, and on that show's got two gold Scorpio and Crowbar and Danny Doring, uh, and uh, I know I'm forgetting another. Uh, ECW uh, a, a, a guy that was on that show as well um, so that, that'll be a really really fun show uh, what do you, I know you got a ton more than me to plug Asher go ahead um, yeah by the time you hear this uh, I'll already be in Nashville for the StarCast weekend I'm producing Black Labor Pro and GCW for GoPro Wrestling um, doing some StarCast B-roll stuff um after that, everything that's GCW going forward, I'll be at. I'll be in Charlotte. I'll be in Atlanta. Um, I will be in Chicago Labor Day weekend for them. Um, I'll be in the UK. I'll be in Japan. Um, be back in LA. Got a few other things uh, that I can't really speak of right now that's in the works for later in August. Uh should be able to announce that by the time the next show comes around. But yeah, I'm just very, very busy. And hopefully you and I will be able to see each other at a show very soon. We have hopefully. very different schedules. Yes. We're both being busy, but unfortunately I don't get to see each other. Uh, I, I drove I drove to Buffalo yep. a few days ago to see you on a Sunday afternoon show that Dude. I wasn't booked at, but you were just to hang out and drink. I got beat up as a, as a, as a manager. Um, you, yeah, you had... You had Tommy Dreamer beat you up, and you had beer spilled all all over you. Uh, also, too, if you don't, yeah, I forgot to bring this up. If you don't get enough of me, which uh, I, I mean, if if you want more of me, I, you might have a problem. But uh, every Sunday, I'm on WrestleNomics Radio. Uh, you can check out WrestleNomics uh, on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, WrestleNomics.com, where we talk about the business of professional wrestling. So, um, anything else, uh, Ash? You got before we wrap it up here? No, I think we uh, wrapped everything up pretty well. All right, so once again, we want to thank you guys for, for listening here. Uh, thank you for supporting uh, independent wrestling, and keep on learning your independent wrestling history. <laughs>